the Ursus Claws! Welcome to episode 119 of the Age of Darkness podcast. We got, as as usual, a fantastic packed show for you today. Um, Might be a little bit different. Darren, you want to explain what what we're going to be talking about today? Yes. Uh, So we're very much at the the turning of the tide, aren't we? We seem to be heading towards uh, a possible new edition. Uh, We're just waiting for confirmation from GW, but we've certainly got a build up with all the uh, new models that they're releasing and showing off and, and leaking and sending out to customers wrongly. So what we're going to do uh, as part of this is we're going to take a retrospect look back at the first three Black Books law sections. We're not going to worry about the rules because potentially by the time these episodes come out, we're going to have a whole new edition being playing with it six months. So um, instead, we're going to look at the law section, starting off with Isfan 3. Linking this in with the Return to Isfan project, so what does the law tell us and how could that possibly be used as narratives for games? So uh, why don't we just talk about this? Usually we don't do this. Uh, we ha- I think we've always made a point to not indulge rumors because usually it's just people wish listing and then people just, you know, um, uh, keep reposting it. Um, but it really does look like, for the first time in years, it really does look like something's, something's happening. Yeah, but I think one of the advantages we've had is that all three of us have been involved in the hobby long enough to have gone through multiple edition changes. So we we know some of the pitfalls, we know some of the traps, we know some of the advantages that come with an an edition change um, of any system, whether that's Rogue Trader going into 40k or the various big changes in 40k, like between the second and third edition or between seventh and eighth edition plus all the other game systems we play long right like look how dramatically necromunda's changed since the original 90s version to the modern version so kind of miles what what kind of preparations or plans do you have if we do get a, an edition shift in previous edition shifts <clears throat> it's, it's always felt like it's been well publicized and we've known it's been coming for a while well i remember back to the days of like white dwarf i think it was seventh edition that really threw a curveball uh where they upgraded the system very quickly to to get a few kinks um out of it uh it, as far as like actual preparation goes i mean it, it like we're in a very weird place right now with the heresy because it feels like it's been slowly ramping down for a while it hasn't felt like it's had the same momentum unfortunately since alan's gone um and book nine came out and it, it 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 didn't feel like that sort of, it felt like they were trying to produce something like alan could but they didn't have alan anymore unfortunately so uh, i i i i feel like it needs to move on it needs it's not a very popular opinion but something needed to change it feels like it should be a new game system it should be a very significant change coming up i'm hoping to see a lot of significant changes in the way the game plays and the way it's distributed. Uh, so in far, as far as preparation goes, I've been building up lots of shoulder pads, decals, um, and trying to refine the color recipe uh, because that's a, a, another thing that, because we all have our favorite legions. I mean, with this proposed box set that might be coming out, we've seen the previews, of, well, previews we've seen the leaks of it. So we know something might be coming down the road soon, plastic Spartans. 
you might want to uh, start another collection or add it into your own. Now is the time to, I guess, get your color recipes right. So Sons of Horus Green, a famously hard recipe to get right. Practice on miniatures now so you have a good ground when it comes to the actual miniatures when this new edition does start to come out. So I guess that would be my main, coming from like a painter side of things, I would be using up all my old test models to practice. Uh, I'm just refining my technique uh, in, in the lead up to that. I mean, what about you guys? What, what do you normally do in the run up to a new edition? Well, this is a weird one because usually I'm sure news is going to be coming quickly if, in fact, there is a new edition. I mean, with the leaked picture of Harley yeah, from the Zoom call. Yeah, if you, you, you aren't completely on board with there being a new edition. Like, I'm, I'm a massive like, skeptic as, as far as, as these leaks are. Again, they feel like a lot of guessing. And then when one of the 20 guesses is correct, uh, the guy does a victory lap where I could easily have guessed that too. I don't believe that a lot of the people posting rumors have access to any more information than I have. And I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly hesitant to believe rumors and I don't want to indulge uh, any of the specifics, uh, the specific rumors that have, have been coming out furiously for months. Um, but with the, the pictures that came out, it's real hard. That really looks like a new box set right there. Um, mm-hmm. it, it like the plastic Mark six. I mean, that's clearly, it doesn't look like a conversion. It, it's not a forgeable kit. I mean, I'm inclined to believe something's happening and there it really would be time to 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 do it. Um, so I'm I'm inclined to I'm inclined to humor this that I think that there is something happening. And I really do think that's so probably not, not to go into specifics with the rumors. I mean, we we have seen uh, the box set, well, a box set, uh, be previewed yet yeah, with the level of artistry, with the cold products, with the just the the, the photographs. It's really hard to believe that it it was a deep deep fake. Um, I mean, from the proposed rumors, uh, again, we're not trying to indulge them. Uh, I mean, I, I spend the rest of the segment indulging, uh, but, but we aren't. But um, I guess in the run up to the new edition, looking back on the old edition, what would you hope to see implemented in this new? I, f- I feel like we, we do this segment at the end of every year. Um, <laughs> it never comes yeah. true. Uh, but like, I'll, I'll go back to, uh, to what we said originally. Hey, okay, let's. I think we agree that there's almost certainly a new edition coming out. It really does feel mm-hmm. like, and it's got to happen sooner or later. So maybe, maybe it's not this fall, but um, it's coming. Uh, and they've already indicated several times, like officially, that they are, you know, that they're not dropping this. They're moving forward. Uh, a new edition is going to be um, um, just inevitable. I think. Uh, I'd like to think. So. I, I don't know how big the changes are going to be. I feel like this is going to be a switch like from third to fourth or fourth, fourth to fifth, that kind of switch, not really a rogue trader to second edition and certainly not a, uh, a seventh edition to uh, eighth edition, which was a massive shift. But the last two times they made big edition shifts. Uh, admittedly, this was for 40 K and Warhammer fantasy. They had massive run-ups, lots of uh, supplements, um, you know, mm, yeah. end times books. A lot of people were pissed off that they bought all those like uh, end time end, end times books, which were great, <laughs> by the way. Um, but they bought all those end times books, and th- th- that essentially led up to a story where you couldn't use them anymore. Um, up the world, so, yeah. yeah <clears throat> um, 
that was big. And then the switch from uh, eighth edition with, uh, again, with moving the storyline forward, like there was nuking the old world and then there was nuking Cadia, which was two huge events. Admittedly, the old, you know, obviously nuking the old world was bigger. That was just a complete rethinking of the entire, uh, uh, universe. Yeah. yeah, It's a brand new universe. Um, I do think 40 K is brand new universes as well. It is completely different uh, uh, in the way that they approach the game because for the first uh, 25, 30 years, uh, 30 years of, of Warhammer 40,000, uh, ever since Rogue Trader came out, it was designed as a sandbox, right? It was designed as a setting, not a story, mm-hmm. right? You could, it, it, it's, it's a universe where you can tell your own story wherever you, you choose, but the story was essentially fixed in place. And they'd, they'd, all, they'd always retcon them too. When they'd ever, whenever they, they'd move forward, they move the story forward a bit, they'd usually just kind of abandon it, like the 13th Black Crusade uh, campaign, where um, you know, everybody played like thousands of games and it was supposed to advance a story. And then they said, it's like, yeah, that didn't really happen. So yeah, it's, Eldred it's, died in that. Yeah. I remember reading the, the uh, consequences of it. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, the, 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 again, they moved the story forward and then they kind of decided that, you know, it's not that kind of game. Um, but now they are moving forward with the story. Now it is a story more than a setting. Um, and just the explosion of special characters, uh, like everybody uses special characters now in, in like 8th, ninth edition. And before special characters were supposed to be, this was a role-playing game, you know, you're supposed to make your own character. Um, so there's a different way of approaching the, uh, the story in both fantasy and or Age of Sigmar now and 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 eighth ninth edition. I, I, we're not seeing that with with Harris. I don't believe that for a second. And and again, they're they're not. We would have started to see some like supplements or something like that to move the story forward. But how do you move the story forward? We we know the story, so it's not going to be like this kind of like reset that we saw with eighth edition and 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 uh, Age of Sigmar. Uh, I really think that this is going to be fairly minor hopefully clean up some rules, hopefully bring in some of the good elements in the in ninth edition, because I'm sorry, there are good elements. Um, what, what specifically? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've chatted to friends about this before, because um, I'm one of those, in some people's views, heretical players that do carry on playing 40k as well as heresy. Um, <gasps> and, and yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, plus, I, I play Fantasy Battle in AOS, you know, beat me with a stick. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's a few good things. I mean, one of the things JP and I were talking about um, a, a little bit earlier was simple little things from 8th edition, like your um, different weapons in the squad being able to shoot at different targets. So if you've got a mm, veteran squad yeah. and you've got like a missile launcher or a plasma gun in your veteran squad, they can shoot a different target to your bolters, for example. It's, it's a simple thing. It's a simple thing. Uh, wound allocation is one of my personal bugbears. So, oh, God, yeah. So you haven't got your artificial armored sergeant bouncing every bolt round in the world. Um, little things, little things like that. I, I have, I've got a whole list of things that I would like to see in terms of rules, but I don't really want to get into that because we don't. There's nothing comparative. Yeah, it, it's it's too dangerous. To start going down that path of comparing Age of Darkness one rules against current ninth edition forty k rules, and I, I don't think that's what we're here for. Yeah, exactly, and it's too easy just to go into wish listing. Yeah. When we did our end of the year episode, we did the wish listing. Right now, I think that we have to. Uh, I, I think it's better, best uh, to remain grounded, if that makes sense. But yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to my original question in terms of preparation. And then, uh, for me, it's about just getting armies built, tidied up, and sorted. To be honest, because you know, there's always going to be certain units you want: tactical squads, rhinos for transports, land raiders. You're not necessarily specialist vehicles. 
because often that depends on army theme or start planning a theme around your army we've seen from age of darkness since very first book one when it first dropped you know what eight years ago almost yeah about eight yeah well, over eight years ago now isn't it um that armies have always been themed and i think whatever rules come along if we do get a change of rules we'll continue to reward those kind of themed army ideas so like my sons of horus drop pod list for example or my iron warrior zone uh, zone mortalis list i think planning a new army and you know we, we know what it's like when a new edition drops people are always keen to start a new army and you can start collecting bits and pieces for that now i, I agree like you were saying Miles, about shoulder pads for example to personalize your units um we don't know what potentially new plastic kits and you know people may be reluctant to pick up um whole armies of kits because they don't know what's coming but you can at least start to plan a theme of your army do a rough draft army list i mean this is something i always do when i put a new army together is write down all the units i want in it i don't necessarily create this is my 2000 point army uh, i just put a kind of a, a brainstorm a list of units of these are what i want to include and start planning around that because I think that's one of the other things we need to remember is when we get an additions change, the armies always change. So you may have your perfectly honed two and a half thousand point killer force at the moment. Um, if a new addition drops, chances are you won't have that because the points will be different. And I know in the past talking to studio teams, um, the, the V studio team, the VH Darkness team, they had a whole raft of ideas about how to change units in the game. And if there is a new addition, we're probably going to see a lot of those changes come in. So, you, Sorry, one of the conversations I had with Anuj before he left the studio, uh, I mean, he's obviously worked on this because they planned two years in the head. Uh, he wasn't such a big fan of power fists or power axes, especially the prevalence of them in armies. Um, so you could read into that. Maybe there might be like a, a slight shift around in how those weapons operate and maybe giving a boost to just the regular power weapons. Um, yeah, wound allocation, like you said, the artificer armor. Uh, Anuj hated that mechanism. He he wanted to scrap that. Uh, yeah. When was the last open date? Like two years ago? Um, we were chatting about that then. 2019 was the last heresy open. It was the last heresy weekend. <clears throat> yeah, so he even back then he was thinking about these things. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if any of those things make it into, into the yeah. new edition. Whatever the changes are, I, I think that book nine really, I, th I think their main objective, because there's, there's a lot of stuff that was supposed to go in book nine that, that just didn't wind up making the cut, like the Dark Mechanicum. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think really they, they did everything they could to get all the, lead, the, the legions out, get the black books done. The, one of the rumors I do believe, and again, I don't really want to engage too much with them, but like, I, I have difficulty believing that, that, I have difficulty believing that there's going to be another black book. There's yeah. too many problems. Yeah, especially, I mean, looking at the the state of the world at the moment, how expensive it is to get crates over from China. And if you have these big, heavy, bespoke-made books. Well, the 2019 uh, weekend, or the one that I attended with, 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 with you guys, um, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, pirates took it. To get malevolence at an event that's designed as its showcase... It's like if you had like a car show, but like the cars didn't show up, right? It's yeah. like, oh, got no cars, but like... They did have one book. They yeah. had one book. But I think one of the things, to, and I think this goes back to a point you just mentioned a minute ago, is there is a new edition change and you don't like it, 
you have the rules for all 18 legions available to you from the Black Books. You have Mechanicum rules. You have the Questorus household. You have Militia and Solar Oxley. You have Demons. You have everything you need to run the game on the current system and not need anything else. Yeah. It, is, it is the harsh reality of it. And, you know, we've seen in other game systems a massive resurgence in people playing older editions of the game in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Where people yeah, second edition. Got, yeah, second edition. I've seen a huge growth in Warhammer 6 edition, uh, Fantasy mm, Battle, yeah. which is yeah. the best edition of the game. Um, Ooh, that, that's another conversation for another time. No, that's the hill I die on. I so, like it. You're dead to me. Uh, um, <laughs> what about third edition? Third, it's, third, edition. Third, it's unplayable, but it's great. third Third edition, if, if we're comparing it, um, Ave is like um, White Snake Lager. Uh, it's like, like White Snake Lager. It's cheap, dirty, and it'll make you go blind. Um, sixth edition is your your no, your, your fine, um, small brewery quality, and third edition is like high quality brandy. So you know it depends on your need, doesn't it? But third, third edition. Th- sorry, I got can't carry on. But regardless third, of all that, God. Third edition is psychedelics. You're on mushrooms on third edition. Um, second edition, you talk about the hoppiness of the beer because you're a snob eighth edition you're just there to drink uh cause light there's it it, it it's no no substance to it but yeah. it's fun but the point the point is we have seen more people going back and playing older editions of all the different types of games that gwd and the point like i go back we have all the black books available to us we have all 18 legions we have everything so if you don't like the new rules you can stick with what you've got and people will still play it. But I think one of the big things is, and I know JP and I have mentioned this previously and I've talked about it with other people and certainly some of my gaming group have mentioned this as well. If we do get a new edition drop and if, and I'm, I'm very much stressing the ifs in this, there is a range of new plastics going with this as well. It is going to encourage new blood into the system, which is a good thing. Yeah, desperately needs it. Yeah, and certainly at least two of my gaming group have said if there are certain models released in plastic, they are going to jump into it. Ooh, like what? Um, Mark twos. Ah, yeah, yeah, that, that's necessary. I, I feel like um, I feel like uh, the 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 what the metrics or. Um, I guess the, uh, the the streams and downloads of, of 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 the show, I think, really shows the evolution of the popularity of, of Heresy, where it sort of peaked. Uh, it, it peaked when the box sets came out, um, and people were sick of seventh uh, edition. Yeah, um, and and everybody started playing uh, uh, thirty. A lot, a lot of people start like jumping uh, jumping ship from uh, from seventh edition to uh, play thirty k, especially with it, the, it was- box sets. And then there was like. Honestly, kind of a major drop off um, around the time of between seven, the book seven and book eight, um, where it's just there was nothing happening, and a lot of people went back to eighth edition. Um, when eighth edition was released, a lot of the kind of bandwagoners, people that were playing thirty k, just because uh, it was a better version of seventh edition, but that really didn't care about the heresy. There was a lot of people like that. Like there's a lot of people that liked um, a Horus Heresy's balance because everybody's using the same army book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I do think if there's a new edition, this is going to be, we we can look at other games released recently to give us an indication of which way they're going to go. For example, the three stars of play. 
I, I can very much see that appearing mm-hmm. in some form yeah. or another because that's been reasonably consistent across every single game that GW have produced recently. In certainly in, in terms of a bigger versions like AOS, 40K, Titanicus, etc. Um, I think we're going to see um, key differences in army design compared to 40K, for example. Um, I think that's going to become a little bit more flexible than maybe you may find in the current 9th edition of 40k in terms of war gear, for example. At least I hope so. Um, and hopefully a bigger range of missions. Um, I, I can see more, <laughs> to use the dirty term, downloadable content, things like card packs. Yeah. For yeah, I mean, I can certainly see them taking on aspects of 40k because it's successful. I can see them taking on a release cycle like Necromunda or Blood Bowl because it's successful. So yeah. uh, smaller books, more regular yeah. releases. I think we can absolutely expect um, like a, a Depths Titanicus version, uh, like <laughs> style yeah. of, of, of yeah. books, uh, which unfortunately are I'm sorry, they're they're not as as polished, as impressive as the black books. But I just don't think the black books are in the future. They, they they're just too hard to do. And they but they're more regular. Long. Pardon? Yeah. I was going to say they're more regular. They keep it in the public eye. Yep. People pick up the ones they want to pick up, or the extreme collectors pick up everything. For example, so there's a lot to be said for that. And it's also, I would imagine, not having worked in a studio or ever, or or ever had a kind of contact in that kind of degree with a studio. But I would imagine it also lessens the workload on them as well, because they's like, well, okay, we're going to spend X number of weeks on this project, then shift over to this project as well. So, you know, I, I would imagine it's easier to organize resources. Um, but I feel that we're drifting into, uh, you know, guessing and, and, yeah. and, and talking about rumors and stuff like that, Well, which I think is relevant. Again, we, we usually don't do this stuff, but, um, we don't indulge in rumors usually, but at the same time, there's clearly something. It's fun. It's, it's fun to talk happening. about. Um, but I do, I, I do want to get back on what we. Um, well, I guess the original question is how are we pre- preparing for for a possible new edition, uh, which is, is looking more possible all the time. And um, I'll be honest, I don't have a great answer because I I I'm not preparing for a new edition. Um, um, my every single time that there was a new edition of 40k. I still had my same old guard army and yeah. the, the new Imperial guard codex will come out and it's like, okay, cool. We have doctrines now. Like, let's move this around. Let's move this here. But on at the, I did, I, I never remember having to purchase too many extra models to make an army work. And I think that, um, my guess is again, we're, we keep drifting into this, but just forgive me. My, my guess is there won't be a, a, I'm guessing the lists, uh, generally speaking in, in, in the black books will still mostly be usable. Uh, and I'm guessing that a tactical, I think, uh, Miles, you mentioned this earlier, like a tactical is still going to be great. A breacher, hopefully it's better, but like, I was never, I, I think the big difference are the, are the people that are optimizing lists. That's going to be more challenging. And if you're optimizing lists, then maybe it's worth waiting for, uh, to see what the new edition, uh, is, is going to offer you. Cause yeah, maybe jet bikes are going to be awesome in this one. And, or maybe in this edition, breachers are going to be the best unit in the game. Let's hope. Uh, <laughs> destroyers um uh but you know uh, if you got if you're just mainly collecting and, and and you know you get stuff because you like it it'll still probably be in the game and you'll probably find a use for it so 
I, I guess I have difficulty answering that question because I'm not preparing for a new edition. I'm just continuing to work on my Night Lords like a little bit at a time. You know, how just holding your breath. Yeah. Well, you're, you're finding a color scheme for them. You're developing a color scheme for them. I mean, look at the content that's been produced around this game uh, by people, both from the 30K channel, from various Patreon producers, like tutorials. Now is the time to refine those skills yep. for this new edition. Uh, so if you are planning a clean break and just going into a new army, well, develop those skills now so you can hit the ground running when it comes out. I think that the the, the one major fear um, uh, it, it, that a lot of people have, including myself, is uh, a resizing. I'm of two minds with this. I love uh, yeah. love the size of Primaris. Not don't don't love the models that much, but the size. I like the true scale, especially considering mm-hmm. I run guard and I run like second edition like metal guard, which are way too big. The, the proportions are completely off. They look like Space Marines as well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm worried about a resize. But again, having seen the leaked pictures and also the fact that there, there have been models coming out, the Sons of, uh, Sons of uh, Horus, Praetor, and Malagurst, which are on the same scale, I would have expected them to be rescaled if we're moving towards a rescaling. I don't see it happening. I'd be shocked if it happened. And I, th- I think the big thing that makes me think that we're not, uh, we, we shouldn't expect any kind of rescaling um, is... is the recent, um, the, the, the recent FAQ for the new edition of, or the new edition for the old world, which shocked me. Darren sent it to me because I was like, there's no way you're going to be able to use your old armies because Darren's starting a, uh, a Beastman army uh, with uh, old. old um, yeah, re- restarting a beast. Look, so I'm, I'm, I'm on a sixth edition. I'm, I'm still working my Iron Warriors, but they're probably going to be finished in the next couple of months, fingers crossed, as if I can, depending on how well the summer holidays go. Um, and I've had a Beastman army sitting in boxes since seventh uh, edition. So I've put some together as AOS, but Beast of Chaos are awful in AOS. So I've put them back together as a sixth um, edition. And literally, literally the day I start cutting off bases to put them back onto squares and started building some new ones, this the old world article dropped. And then everywhere I looked on Twitter was people putting out old fantasy armies. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, well, I was on it before it was cool. <laughs> but yeah, so go on, JP, carry on. So you were saying about the, 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 the big shock in that article, the big surprise. Are you, st- anyway. are you still salty that I called you a bandwagon, a bandwagon jumper? Sixth edition. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> no, I was just joking. But um, uh, what, what was really shocking is I couldn't even believe it. Because uh, like, uh, um, my guess was like, you know, you can start making that army, but like Games Workshop will find a way to invalidate it and make sure that you can't use it. Um, because obviously they're going to want to sell a new crop of models. Um, there's no way they're either going to resize it or do something, something to make it um, unusable. Like the resizing of essentially slowly getting rid of regular size Marines and now they're all Primaris and even the Chaos Space Marines are huge now. Um, they're going to find a way to make you buy new models. And uh, so Darren pointed me to the article that they had um, about, the, the, uh, about the old world, which uh, for those that don't know, um, essentially bringing back, a, I guess, a version of Warhammer Fantasy. I'll, I'll, I got my theories as to why, um, but uh, beyond fa- fan service, but uh, so they put out an FAQ and they had some, you know, some you know, questions that the community had. Is it going to be square bases or round bases? They said square bases. It's like everybody's happy about that. I think uh, fantasy works really well with ranked models. Um, but one of the questions was like, it, it, can I use my old models? And it's just like, absolutely. 
Uh, all old models will be supported. You can either use your old army, add stuff, start a new army, add stuff to your old army. We want you to be able to do whatever you want with it. And I was like, that's shocking. Like, what the hell? Like, who, what is this company? And what have you done with Games Workshop? Um, and, and, and that leads me to, to think that I don't think that that specialist games has the resources nor the desire to like rescale the entire game to redo all the models, even though they're, they're always out of stock. Um, uh, it really leads me to think that they're going to, the, the, the scale should be the same and you should be able to continue on. So I'm not making any preparations. I really think that, um, uh, that we're not going to see uh, a shift from the equivalent of a shift from seventh to eighth or from, um, eighth of a fantasy battle to age of sigmar we're not going to see that kind of shift I, I think it's going to be more like cleaning up the rules i would expect a third to fourth because third got really hard to play at one point it was it, the, the vehicle rules didn't really work mm. uh rhino rushing was really annoying again this is just guessing but i don't expect a huge change so i'm not making a huge uh, change i'm just going to continue working on my projects and and if uh, i have to modify some stuff I'll modify some stuff. Uh, it just means, you know, buy a couple extra models uh, to make sure that I, I fulfill whatever the new force work is going to look like. So when we're talking about ex- uh, uh, preparing for a new edition, my decision is to not prepare for a new edition. I know it's lame, but that's, that's my decision. Can I just pick up on uh, the rescaling issue? Malagust, uh, I think the, res- the rescale is a little bit of a, a boogeyman uh, because the original... Space Marines sculpts produced by Fortral, they were for the smaller 25mm bases that Space Marines were on at the time. And they transitioned over to the slightly larger base size, and then the first born were put on that. And the scale gradually increased to make more, uh, well, make more of that base. Uh, so, hold on, hold on. Just If I can just interject real quick. Yeah, go I ahead. Mean, the 25mm uh, 25 base that Space Marines were originally on, they were made for Rogue Trader scale Marines. Yeah, There exactly, was already yeah. a rescaling, and then they didn't fit on those fucking bases anymore. That's why mm-hmm. they introduced the 32. Yeah. So, the, I mean, when you look at Mark IV, for example, I don't think the problem is the scale. I think the problem with those specific sculpts, they, they designed the Space Marine to be put on those Rogue Trader 25mm bases. I mean, those Mark IV have really thin, spindly legs, spindly arms. You compare it to a guardsman, you compare it to some of the new Necromunda stuff, and they're towering over space marines. Now, the Malagos model is bigger than those Mark IV marines, but it's nowhere near as big as a Primaris, as people fear. It, it's in the scale of the new Chaos Marine range, so the new Chaos Marine plastics. Hell, even uh, some of the later uh, 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 Space Marine kits, so you can see Raldrons in that scale. They aren't to Primaris scale. We've seen uploads of that uh, Praetor that was sent out inadvertently by mistake to, to some American uh, buyers. And you've seen some pictures where you compare it to a Primaris. He's as big as a Primaris, but that's because he's standing on a display base that pushes them up even more. So the, the rescale doesn't... The, 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 from that leaked picture, the Marines do seem a little bit bulkier. They do seem a little bit bigger. But they won't look out of place with the miniatures that you currently own. You don't need to throw them out. You don't need to burn them. They will play... When, when you look at people as well, we're all different sizes. So having like different miniatures of slightly different scales, slightly different heights... It shouldn't be a problem. 
Yeah, so long as you don't take it to a tournament, people get pissed off at second edition rhinos. It's like, it's too small. You're not allowed using it. Like you can hide it behind the terrain easily. Or when people use like second edition, uh, second edition, like greater demons, which you're allowed to do. It's a Games Workshop model, but they're so small. You just hide them behind stuff. Um, and, and a lot of like in, in the competitive scene, people get really pissed off. This is why competitive tournaments are awful yes. places. That I agree on, but like, um, you know, it's one, it's one of those things to consider. Well, actually, the thing to consider is to not participate in competitive. Yes. <laughs> so the Las Vegas Open. Consider not doing this. The Las Vegas Open. The the heresy, I believe, is the only. Um, God, how have they labeled it? It's not a tournament. It's a like war gaming weekend. They're there to tell a story, and that's what thirty K has always been predicated on. It's a vehicle to tell a story. It's not a vehicle to smash your opponent's teeth in. Yeah, but then you always have one guy that shows up with a warhound on a uh, sky shield landing pad. You always have that one guy. You always, you always do. You, you just yeah. cope with it and then move on. You concede and then you play somebody who's interested in playing the game. I was, was going to say it's human nature, isn't it? That there's always that one person in the room. Yeah. But like like you say, you just smile sweetly and walk on. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to. You find that in like all walks of life. It's not just war gaming. You like you say you, you're polite. You disengage as quickly as you can, and hopefully you never have to run into them again. But anyway, I think we're going to slightly off track now. So, yeah. shall we focus and start talking about Eastman Three? All right, welcome back. We are we're doing something a little bit different today. Oddly enough. Um, uh, we've been talking for several weeks about, or several months, I think, uh, going uh, talking about going back to uh, the opening trilogy of Black Books. Um, because when this uh, podcast dropped, uh, I think uh, book five was about to be released. It's 2015. Remember like when books were coming out like uh, very quickly? Every six months. Yeah, yeah. six months. Um, uh, and, and so we've been talking, we, we never covered these books really. Uh, so we thought we thought about um, going back to them and maybe um, uh, discussing uh, the legions in them and and having a broader discussion. Of how do you how do you play these lists uh, that are now nine years old? Uh, <laughs> and and we want to have the discussion. But now that we're kind of in a holding pattern, what we just talked about in the prior segment and in the introduction, um, since we don't really know what's happening and it, there might be a new edition coming out or something like that, it uh, seems kind of weird to 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 discuss. Uh, anything rules related in in the first three um, in the first three books, um, uh, just because we don't know what kind of changes are in, uh, are in store for us, we don't know what's happening. Um, so we figured we'd do something a little bit uh, different. Then we still want to talk about this old stuff because um, we never covered uh, book one, uh, well, the opening trilogy. We thought we'd talk about Istvan. We've never we've never talked about the uh, the, the 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 lore uh, of Istvan in, in particular in, in in this opening trilogy. Yeah, I mean we never covered the original three books because yep. the podcast was already up and running. By the time already old were released. Yeah, exactly. I mean we were on to like book three, four, like a blink an eye, and we had four of these big black books come out. Um, so we aren't go even though book one is amazing. We aren't going to cover every single thing in here because it feels oh, no. like we we talk about this stuff anyway during the course of just exploring the law. But just to hit on the major major beats of the first opening uh, piece of it, 
it had the art style established, this blending of realism and the miniatures. Uh, it set itself up as a historical document right from the preface, right from the sentence structure, even long convoluted sen sentences, uh, which we adore on this show. Um, and then you had like these weird little symbols and uh, talk, uh, like little. Um, so when you look at uh, page 38, for example, uh, Chrysos Morturg, Black Shield. Already at this stage, they're starting to, to seed the plants that will come into fruition later on. Yeah. They outline the uh, rough structure of the Legionus Astartes. And we find out for the first time that, I mean, do you remember at the time speculating how big a legion was? Like at the time, a thousand Marines seemed huge. But these legions were 100,000, 150, 200,000 Marines strong. And j just that figure alone, I think we forget just how awed we all were. But then it also started to talk about the exceptions to that as well, didn't it? So in those first yeah. four legions, they 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 gave us the um what the the organization of the legion and then gave us four legions that don't follow that organization. Yes. <laughs> so so it, it was already raising up those ideas that you can do what you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean the strategic dispositions, there's a nice two-page spread on exactly how a legion should should be ordered. Uh, but then, like Darren says, you look at four legions that just completely disregard this entirely. Uh, okay, so in this episode, we are going to cover the Isfan Three atrocity. Um, the first hammer blow, the first real opening gambit of the traitors, would you say? Well, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's the preparation for the heresy more than anything, isn't it? It's, it's the final act of cleaning the house before you turn on the Imperium itself. Oh, you think this is, is this a final act or a first act? No, I, I think it's for I, I my my personal view is it's for final act before you start the heresy because you're clearing house, you're getting rid of those um elements within your legion that aren't gonna follow you down that path. Mm. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna disagree with that. I'm gonna say it's the first act because up until this point, we've had cousin versus cousin, we've had marine on marine combat, no matter how much the uh, Imperial Truth tries to propel, uh, promulgate that it didn't happen. We had the Knight of the Wolf. And we had Nakia, uh, sorry, um, the, the uh, purging of Prospero before this. So cousin that's fought cousin. This is the time where brother fights, kills brother, where you have an interlegionary conflict for the first time. So I think this is, this is the shift in mentality from uh, compliance warfare to heresy warfare. I, 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 I get don't, both. Don't all... Don't all jump to agree at once. I, I get both of your your, no, your points no. of view here, um, and and um, I don't think it's necessary to have like a definitive decision. Um, oh God, no, no, God. No. But uh, no, I I, I I I get both of your European uh, 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 your opinions here. Um, I would now that I think about it, I, I think I would I I, I I'm, I'm more in, in Darren's camp here. I think this th this might be instead of the first hammer blow, really. Um, the final setup. If you look at the at, at like a, a a story that begins with uh, Horus being wounded on Davin, mm -hmm. or you could even start it earlier with his doubts, uh, with him being uh, made war master. I, I and, guess even and then, earlier, Logar. Yep, Logar. And then cleaning up the legions, turning the legions into mm -hmm. um, what you could now call traitor legions. Because before what well, um, the the campaign that we're going to talk about, 
Um, the uh, uh, you can't call them traitor legions. They're they're not. They're not. They they haven't betrayed the emperor, and, and there's still big chunks of them. Like half the half of each legion, which is unreliable and and mm-hmm. and is more than likely uh, sides with, uh, with with Terra. And after this, then you can really say it's like okay, these these are traitor legions. And and then you have yeah. uh, and, and and if you look at it that way, um, Isfan Five becomes the opening, uh, the, the real opening battle of the Heresy, which it always was uh, in in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't think it's uh, honestly it's semantics. Yeah, it's, it's exactly yeah. It's one of those interesting barroom conversations you can have that um, quickly descends into fists. But anyway, uh, Isfan Three. Uh, so why was Isfan Three important? Well, it was the 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 open. Sorry, it, it was an act in the heresy that, that brought um, the, uh, I guess, main traitor legions together, the core of the traitor legions together. I, I feel like I'm mangling this already. It brought yeah. a certain segments of the traitor legions together to uh, then perpetuate Istvan V. Um, so, uh, okay, Istvan V, the planet itself, it came under compliance under the Raven Guard, uh, and they mentioned uh, certain warp confluences there. Um, so we have things like the what do we have here? War singers. So th- there, there was some manner of warp influence there, even at the very outset. But it was a fairly generic uh, compliance. Uh, the Raven Guard didn't have any uh, like exceptional uh, notes about it, um, uh, and it was loyal up until uh, Governor Prowl. Uh, and it's turns. also, I was going to say, kind of on top of that, it's also <clears> worth pointing out where Isfan 3 is in that it's quite far in the galactic north. So it is mm-hmm. out on the fringe. So it is one of the last, well, if you're kind of following out on an outward spiral, it's one of the later planets to be brought into compliance. But when you look on any uh, kind of yeah, warp, you're right. warp travel maps, because and there's quite a few out there now which are accessible, um, Isfan 3 is off the main warp routes. Mm-hmm. So it's quite difficult to get communications out. And in fact, uh, when we get into how they learn that the planet stops being compliant, uh, they they work out the messages between two and six years old, where the, the first messages went out that the planet had uh, turned rebel against the Imperium. Yeah, so, this is this is such. Uh, oh, sorry, I was going to say. So it's a perfect place if you want to cleanse out because it's out the way and nice and yeah. quiet. Uh, one of the things that I really like about this storyline and and what we're mainly going to be talking about is what the black books bring to the story we, we've already talked about um uh, galaxy and flames the unfairly maligned galaxy and flames i'll just put that there mm-hmm. um but uh, one, one of the really interesting things is that uh it, it shows that this growing imperium is or or the great crusade is really when we talk about compliance they, they're moving quickly because what they talk as soon as the um, the Raven Guard uh, take the planet, take Isfan Three, uh, they bring in some you know mortal rear guard troops. I'm assuming some iterators and uh, people like that. But the, the the crusade moves on, and and years pass, decades pass, and doesn't seem like they really check in all that much. Uh, you, you get the feeling that you know it's moving so fast, so many worlds are being conquered, and you're already getting that 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 thing I love so much about 40K is this this idea of um, this 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 imperium, this empire is so unimaginable in scale that no one can uh, can actually comprehend it. No one really. There's no bureaucracy that is uh, that is that is um, um, uh, that is powerful enough to run this. Uh, I'm just looking at the map now and reading some of these names like uh, Rag 
Ragda. Rang, rang, rangda. Yep. Yeah, funny enough, it's a, it's Isfan three is in an area where a lot takes place. Yeah, Rangdon, Neogeddon, Abyss, Quaijin, yeah. Nostromo, um, Opuscalus, Noctis, Desperation, right on the um, Galactic East, Constantium. Yeah, it's Be- right on the fringe. Yeah, beyond the death of reason, even beyond Cygnus Prime. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it just makes you wonder like how many of these worlds were given maybe like a couple of sentences to flesh out later by Alan. Well, and a lot of them are old old lore as well, aren't they? A lot of them are kind of just mentioned in passing places like the original AT and Space Marine games. Right, yeah, I know. I, I can recognise a few of them, like uh, Larian. Yeah. Um, and then and then others, I think, were just Alan going, yeah, let's put that one in. Let's put that yeah, one in. that sounds cool. Uh, we were talking about the location, but we're, we're moving on to kind of the, the surface level of the Imperium, aren't we? The fact it's only mm. it's only skin deep. It yes. hasn't got into people's yes. bones yet. Exactly. I mean, come to think of it, I mean, what, what exactly qualifies a compliance? So a legion could turn up to a world. It could maybe destroy the central government of that world, smash the resistance. It doesn't need to clear it out. Yeah, so it's a very fragile thing, this compliance. Oh, yeah, yes. Absolutely. And we and we've seen that increasingly as time has gone on, particularly in some of the Primark novels and Primark mm. short, short stories. Actually, how thin compliance actions actually are, particularly some some legions do it better than others. So, like the Imperial Fists, one of their key qualities for Great Crusade is when they bring a plan into compliance, they do stay and they make mm-hmm. sure it's secure before moving on. But then that's part of their tenant. The Iron Warriors are the same; they leave their guard, they leave those garrison forces, which spreads the legion extremely thin. Um, pre-monarchia, the word bearers were extremely good at making sure plants were fully compliant before. <laughs> a little bit on. too good at it. A little bit too good at it, yeah. Yeah. But then, I, actually, sorry, there's a throwaway line I think in uh, the Lion's book or maybe Gilliman's book, where uh, the the Lion describes Gilliman as an empire builder. Like he's not building for the Imperium. He's so each one of the Primarchs are carving out a bit of the Imperium for themselves for after uh, the the Great Crusade. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. A lot of them do have their their. Emb- the, the, I think the two most important ones are Ultramar, obviously, and mm-hmm. uh, there's also the uh, the Empire of Iron, uh, which which Pertorabo builds for himself. Probably as like a, as a supply base because I can't imagine Pertorabo caring about having having an empire. Yeah, but then you had sure. other legions like the Sons of Horus, which were basically spear tip, comply it off. Yeah. And and we saw that in the opening trilogy with 6319, that they create a very, very quick compliance, but it it's not stable and it doesn't last much longer than the Legion moving on. And that's why Lorgar and and uh, Gulliman are two of the most uh, successful um, of, of, of the Primarchs because they yeah, actually, Empire. especially early Lorgar, where he takes the time like that. That's why like Lord God got chastised, right? Because he was taking too long. Because he he, mm-hmm. uh, he would conquer a world and he spent a bunch of time uh, rebuilding it and and you know yeah. making J- just let the iterators do that shit. Yeah. I need you to conquer yeah. worlds. But, but here's the saw- problem: we see we see the problem with this Van Three with with with, with that, right? Uh, like within I don't know uh, a, a couple of decades. Uh, it's already in rebellion, and they don't even know it's in rebellion. Like it's it, it's it, it's been in rebellion for years, and like no one, no one had any idea until like some Death Guard ship uh, received a signal. Yeah, and it's so it's very clear it's accidental, isn't it? Yeah. Now, now this is mm. the interesting question. This is the interesting question: 
is Horus actually aware it's a rebellion and just ignores it until it's an appropriate time? Then he just dispatches this Death Guard vessel into this area um, or gives Mortarian the nod to send a ship into that area to pick it up. Or is Horus capitalising on the situation? I think it's more the latter. Uh, Me too. Horus strikes as opportunist in the best possible sense. When you see Julius Caesar's career, he was able to uh, take... uh, uh, situations that were constantly in flux and bend them to his will yeah i think that w- that was horus's skill he was able to take a universe that's in chaos and that that's in upheaval and turn a- all the little screws in his advantage but what's really clear here as well is he's also now manipulating the situation so certain legions are occupied yeah. elsewhere yeah. dark angels blood angels ultramarines yeah. sent fists. by horus yeah. fists uh, and then um, he kept the Night Lords, the Alpha Legion, Iron Warriors, Raven Guard, Salamanders, Iron Hands, all actively involved in various campaigns yeah. uh, and events across the Imperium. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's manipulated the situation to his best needs, hasn't he? Yeah. It, it's it, it's like Prospero, uh, right? Um, but Horace didn't send uh, Lehman Russ uh, to deal with Magnus, but he manipulated the order to make it seem... He had a conversation um, with Russ, and that conversation made him batshit crazy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he manipulated the situation a little bit to make sure that you know that the two legions savage each other. But at the same time, I maintain, and when we talked about Prospero Burns, uh, this was my argument, and I and I I, I maintain my argument that um, if you didn't want this to happen, you don't send Lehman Russ, right? Uh, <laughs> it's not. This isn't like everybody's. Oh well, Horace manipulated the order. Lehman Russ would never have done that. It's like fuck you. Of course he would have done that. You know, he, he all Horace did was make it a little bit more likely, but it was always going to happen in, in some form. Mm-hmm. It was always going to be violence. Yeah. So, I mean, c- coming back to Isfan, um, the legions that are in book one w- were an interesting choice, I thought, um, because they were all what was generally regarded as the traditional traitor legions. Mm-hmm. And, th- well, and legions. three, yeah, well, not the sons of Horus, the three of the others, yes. Yeah, yeah you're right, you're right. You're but right. not, but I don't think you could, and I know I'm obviously I'm hugely biased here, but I don't think you could have had book one without the sons of Horus in. No, true, yep. Be- because it's the Horus heresy, why would you not have the sons of Horus in there? But in, many, wa- but in many ways, the choice of the legions that are in this book are dictated by uh, by the lore, because uh, the story of the drop site massacre it's these legions that are uh, that that are already traitors. Um, they're sent to be. Uh, uh, there's orders to destroy them, and then these other four legions come in after. So you you already kind of have uh, have that decision sort of. Dis- you know that's that's already been decided for you. Yes, you do, you do, but which is kind of already pre decided. That kind of goes back to the idea that book one is the foundation of heresy, not the heresy itself. Mm. Yeah, um, to, to just to play devil's advocate here, uh, if you wanted to go in like a strict heresy order, I guess you could have put Prospero first. Yeah, well, mm. don't forget Prospero in, in the original kind of thinking, Prospero was meant to be book four, but let's not go mm. down there because that frustrates yeah. Silver Wolf and Tales and Sons. Yes, players. yes, but this this book, um, that, yeah, very much it, it needed to come first, it needed to center on, yeah, well, Horus, obviously, and this was the, I guess the battle that they could have uh, built the rest of the story or launched this series from. And let's remember as well, by this point, the opening Black Library trilogy has already been out. So fundamentally, people were going into this thinking, we already know the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, yeah. Kind of, that leads back to our other swings around. 
um, back to our opening statement of what does book one bring that we didn't previously know? And I think the simple answer is detail. Yes. The book, the the Black Library trilogy focuses on from certain characters' perspectives, doesn't it? From Loken's, uh, from Lucius's, from Tarvit's point of view. Book one, as Miles said, right, kind of the introduction part of this, gives us the historical framework of it and gives mm-hmm. us kind of it's like looking back at uh, a campaign book about real world historical battles yeah. and and the maps in there were groundbreaking because up till now well, we've been uh, very much used to um traditional games workshop maps mm-hmm. um which w- were good let's let's not kind of um, denigrate them too much they were good but then you compare them to the quality of the Forge World maps, which were like photographs taken with bits overimposed on the top. It was like you were looking at a uh, pick screen. And mm-hmm. they blew your mind that we hadn't had anything like this previously, not even from the Imperial Army books. Like those of us who've got copies of the Badab War books were blown away by those. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the Heresy, the Open Heresy book raised the bar even further. Now, I remember Vrax. Vrax was my favorite. It's still my one of my favorite things that they've ever done um and and like i remember reading the vrax books when they came out and it's like this is you know this is the gritty realistic uh, yeah this is future history that exactly and then this comes out and it's just like just you believe uh, in just the quality of the writing the quality of um um, of of of, uh the 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 visual material the the quality of the book itself like just of, Mm -hmm. of the physical object uh there's uh, I mean, I, I never seen anything like that. I bought, I, I bought this on pre-order, right? The, the, the first one. Um, I didn't even start playing Heresy till like uh, at least till book three came out because that's when the Iron Warriors uh, dropped. But I still got this on on pre-order. So it's like this is this is what uh, this is what I've always wanted. That's why I like I'll be really heartbroken and decide to stop doing the, the the black books, even though I understand why they probably will. That's a different conversation. Different. Con- we already had that conversation. Let's not get <laughs> We've back. We had to that, that conversation. Um, I'm sure we'll come back around to it again. Some- but but just the 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 the, uh, the way that it's written as like this fake future history, right? Like this is a historian, uh, possibly in you know I, I I don't remember when the per, like the the did they ever mention when it's being written? So uh, the first, the, first the timeline's a little bit wonky because in some of the supplementary material they mention Gilliman coming back to life under AK's oh. name. Yeah, so I'm not sure that's like the false narrator thing. Somebody's taking on the mantle of yeah. AK, uh, which I like. like which yeah, are, it, I, I like the fact it's very open and therefore clear, open to interpretation of the un, unreliable yeah. narrators we've mentioned quite a few times. And I like that because then you're looking at this book and you're thinking, well, how much is accurate? You, you certainly get the impression that person was alive at the time. Yes. Or certainly had I, access to clear records from the time. I um, think it's, it's generally accepted. It's sometime during the scouring yeah. that this, these documents okay, are written. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, it's it's wonky because there's so I'm not sure whether it's coordinated whether they meant to give that unreliable narrator. But yeah, there's a few bits and details that don't quite hang together. But unreliable narrator, this bureaucracy is impossible to manage. <laughs> well, at least uh, someone uh, someone kept good records so that uh, this could be pieced yeah. together. Well, I, wish, I wish there was footnotes. There's one thing that I think that was missing was footnotes. It would have been awesome to just have like. Uh, to, to have a bunch of fake footnotes there and try to like decipher Maybe like, like a bib- bibliography. It'd be so cool. End. Yeah, it's a fake, but that, that's like extra work for no reason. Yeah. Just to, just, just to make uh, academics laugh. 
but you you know somewhere someone's going to be planning a PhD around that. Yeah. <laughs> and their initials will be AK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Istvan, uh, the actual beats of the story. So how does the story open Vistvan? Why does Boris chose Istvan 3 to launch this attack? Well, I, I, I think it's quite clear that this target of opportunity. He finds out that mm-hmm. uh, Istvan's um, rebellion is probably not the only place in rebellion in the Imperium. As we mentioned, it seems to be that, you know, this is kind of a... Um, n- not a very... It's a quiet uh, backwater. Yeah, but um, I'm, I'm sure this isn't the only realm that's happening. So this happens to be at the in the right place, um, a large mm-hmm. enough world. It seems to, to, to check uh, tick all the boxes, and then and, and Horus has to deal with. Uh, um, and this gives Horus the opportunity to uh, to put his plan into in, into action and and purge the the, um, the 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 legions loyal to him of of um, of, of loyalist elements. Oddly enough, here's here's an interesting question. What about the other legions? I mean, word bear, we're not talking about word bearers, but like, you know, like the Night Lords, Iron Warriors. We never hear about how they purge their legions. Uh, it's implied in other places, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So uh, there's there's a couple of short, the first uh, short story of Dantiop, for example, um, suggests the Iron Warriors are just purging it with as time as as time goes on. Uh, I think the Night Lords are just an interesting one because the Night Lords kind of fragment anyway, don't they? So are they, well, at this point, Nostromo has been destroyed. So yes. Would, they, would um, they be loyal to the Imperium after that anyway? Um, yeah, I think they flee in towards Horus's side after this Van Three Rebellion for, for uh, Sanctuary. Yeah. The word bearers deal with theirs a cow, as we are mm-hmm. aware of. Um, and who does that leave? Emperor's children. I guess they undergo their rebirth. Uh, above the the skies, well, well, Istvan three, but their real rebirth happens above the skies just before Istvan five, and they completely mutate and freak the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, um, and then Thousand Sons. Well, the Thousand Sons are, are an odd one because I don't actually fully commit to the traitors until the Siege of Terror. World Eaters here, yeah. Well, I think the World Eaters. If you read the Angron Primarch story, they start quite early. Have you have you read the Angron Primarch? Um, yes, I have. Laven I remember because they start to clear out some of the. Um, oh yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, with the um, butcher's nails. Yep. Yeah. The implementation of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that that seems to start getting rid of those. So it although Isfan Three is kind of the hard line of the sand, um, it seems to have been going on a little bit beforehand in a lot of legions. Although whether you could argue that's getting rid of elements which aren't loyal to the Primarch as opposed to loyal to the Imperium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it I think it depends on the nature of the Legion. But anyways, uh we have um uh, the, the the Horus takes advantage of this rebellion to to purge uh the legions of loyal uh, loyal elements. So um, mm-hmm. um and, and this is a huge force that's been gathered for what is not a very important world. We're talking about like 200,000 Marines yeah. and four Primarchs. No, three Primarchs. Yeah, because Fulgrim turns up late, doesn't he? Yeah. Instead, he sends Eidolon. Yeah. Brilliant. Great, great representation there. <laughs> um, so yeah, this immense gathering of force. This is huge. Like, for, well, it's not one... only four legions. You've also got all the militia and solar ox forces along with that, and three titan legions. Yeah. Mortis, Volpa, and what was the other one? Audax. Audax. That's right. How could I forget that? 
Um, so yeah, this is a this is a pretty goddamn big uh, force. Plus um, Mechanicum. Yeah, plus, plus Mechanicum. Yeah. Oh boy. <clears throat> I mean, this is the sort of thing that slays empires. Um, well, when they say a single company of marines is enough to bring a compliance to a world. And we've got here four legions plus all the auxiliaries that go with them. You know, that that's enough for an entire sector. Oh, it's overkill. And it's surprising no one pointed. Did anybody point it out in the Black Library books that this is kind of overkill? <laughs> no, Someone but I don't think they even they don't even pick it out in book one, do they? Because all the other legions and imperial forces are occupied elsewhere. So no one really notices the gathering of force. And it's a quiet backwater, isn't it? So what uh, what are the forces uh, or or sort of the terrain of Isfan, uh, of Isfan 3? Because uh, they need to strike at, uh, I guess, what's uh, called the Coral City. Well, there's four, yeah, there's, there's, there's four key targets, isn't there, which they drop onto. So you've yeah, got si- the... Siren Hold. You've got the, the... Siren Hold. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you've got the Siren Hold, you've got the Coral City, and within the Coral mm. City, you've got the main population centre and the the government buildings. And then you've got the kind of imperial fortified starport and bits and pieces as well. So those are the four targets which is select. I guess by now, uh, the Istvanites are, they're pretty corrupted. Like they mentioned that they're like, they're they're starting to like become mutants. Um, This is uh, uh, because uh, I guess they've already, they were tainted by the warp even before, but now it's kind of like accelerated. Um, they have their like witch covens, uh, and um, uh, and even their regular soldiery uh, is, is starting to mutate. Which is another thing focused on in book one, isn't it, Ralph? Because the opening trilogy, Black Library trilogy, just talks about the um, the forces of Istvan, don't they? Whereas the Black Book goes into a far more detail about what these kind of forces are in kind of their mutation yep. and how they start to fight. So it once again shows that kind of contrast, that bigger picture but much more in depth rather than just for character perspective. Yep. So the Isfanites have, uh, well, well, they fortified the outworks. Uh, the Coral City has uh, has a curtain wall. And um, uh, we, we just did the uh, Siege of Terra. Uh, we, we just did Lost in the Dam. So we talked about outworks and trench warfare for quite a bit uh, already, <laughs> Darren. But uh, uh, yeah, they, they, they have like uh, multiple trench lines, very well dug in forces and very well equipped. Um, that's another thing that we get from this book. They're very well equipped with imperial um, in, imperial munitions. Um, they uh, just because they kind of raided the, um, um, I guess, the storage facilities. Uh, um, so they have, you know, they have basilisks and I, I imagine Lehman Russes and stuff like that. Malkadors, they refer to oh, a lot of, they refer that's to a lot of Malkador tanks because those are second rate tanks by this time because they're being slowly replaced by Lehman Russ. I know why you would do that. I don't know why because the Malkador is a far superior tank. It yeah. looks cooler. It looks cooler. Hard to manufacture, maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking they are, yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm thinking that that's that's always been the main um, story of Lehman Russ is that it's not a, it's not that great a tank. It can do everything though, and it's cheap to manufacture. And I remember in the old Imperial Guard uh, stories, they talk about like local production of Lehman Russ. I mean, you can make it out of anything that's like locally available. They talk about even like Lehman Russes on some uh, barely industrialized worlds, which run on steam uh, steam engines. Uh, Steam engines. <laughs> it's, so it's awesome. It's for T thirty four for forty first millennium. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It, it's and it can do. It, it, it's not. It, I don't think it's great at any at anything in particular, but it can do everything. It's got a big enough gun 
to be able to pretty much damage any target. And it can be used in both an anti-tank and anti-personnel role. Yeah, it's, it's easily adapted. Yeah. That that's one of its key features. It can climb. Adapted. It can climb trenches. I mean, uh, that's that's incredibly valuable. You don't know if you're going to come uh, uh, come upon trenches, but you you know if you're going to build a tank that's supposed to be used on a million worlds um, in a million different environments, it should be able to function in a million different environments. And the Luminar is pretty good in, uh, in that sense. It's very adaptable design, so I can imagine why they would be. Uh, moving over from the Malkador, which is very special. Well, not very specialized. I imagine it being very hard to build and it's it's probably too big. Like you want a medium tank, right? You want a medium tank to, to do all these tasks. Um, so I, I imagine yeah, that's probably as well. Reliability. Much, yeah, it'd be quite specialist technology to repair it. And, and yeah, whereas a, you, you can, I mean, there was a rule what, in 6th edition where you can kick a tank and it would just work again. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right, but I think yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 the T thirty four. It's not not the best tank on the battlefield, but um, quantity as a quality all of its own. Exactly. So yeah, so they have a bunch of Malkadors. They're very well equipped in in in, in the trenches. And, and so what's what's the War Master's plan here for 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 taking back Isvan three? Well, he's going to appeal <laughs> to each legion's strength, isn't he? Each each of those particular targets is assigned a legion. Um, and I, I, it does make me laugh, some of these. But it, it does make me smile. So who are you going to send into tre- trench works? Well, it makes sense to send the Death Guard. Yeah, that's, you know, that, that's obvious. That's the key location. If you don't have any Iron Warriors available, yeah, the Death Guard will do it just fine. Yeah. Um, what about your, your your key location, your your most dangerous location, most glorious location, the spy hole? Well, you, he's going to send his, his own sons, isn't he, and, and do spear tip. Oh, yeah, um, obviously. What about the government taking out the, the, the tyrant for the person who's dared to turn against uh, the Imperium? Well, that's going to be the Empress' children. That's their key pride. And who are you going to send in to deal with the mass population? <laughs> world, <laughs> the world eaters. Because oh, they're the obvious people for crowd control, aren't they? That one's a bit heartless, though. I'm going to get... I'll, 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 I'll say that about the War Master. That was, that was kind of heartless. But it'll work. You send, your, you send your terror troops. Yeah. Uh, and, and If you haven't got the Night Lords available, send in world eaters. Yeah, well, the, we, there are two different kinds of terror. <laughs> yeah, but and we also do know from the background that just the sheer mention of a World Eater fleet coming into system is enough to quell rebellions. I think book one has like my favorite piece of like flavor text where um, they do like, ca- uh, uh, sorry, casualty reports of Imperial troops that are like fighting with the uh, World Eaters. And after the battle is over, the casualties start rising. Yeah. <laughs> Bless. Yeah. For, for unknown reasons. Ah, who, who knows what happened? This is is that, is that the same as those ones that do um, compliance actions alongside Blood Angels that you just get your guy disappearing late at night? <laughs> yeah, completely drained of blood. Yeah, odd, odd situation. That clearly worked. Yeah, he fell, he, he fell down and lost all his blood. It happens. Yeah. With two small uh, punctures. So in the uh, Angel of Death Codex, they explained that as local cultic uprisings trying to throw shade on the Blood Angels. Yes, that checks out. That checks out. Yeah, of course, it is. Yeah, yeah that's, believe- that's believable. We'll go over that. Billion percent. So, how do they get down to the planet then? No, because un- unlike the Siege of Terror, there is no Aegis around this around the Coral City, is there? So, how do they deploy? Just drop pod yeah, in on tr- mass. And what's interesting here is Horus. Man, like I, I, it's. I haven't read Galaxy and Flames in a while, but like, fucking Loken had to had to know something was up, because. I think it was mentioned actually in Galaxy and Flames that like it seems odd how you know who was chosen instead of like sending in a whole company, you send in parts of a company and everything like that. 
Um, it's very and, disjointed. It's, yeah. it's a little bit disjointed. Um, and uh, what's great about the world leaders, and I don't think it's I don't think it's mentioned in book one, but what's great about the world leaders is they just send people at random. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just go. And also, what's interesting is a lot of the majority of ones being sent are all Terrans. Yeah, they're a large part of the Terran. Con- Not all the Terrans, but the majority of them are the old Terran contingents of these legions. Also, except for the Death Guard, uh, they have very little in the way of uh, of heavy equipment. Um, and also, they're not really uh, being deployed via Thunderhawk or Stormbird. They're mainly being deployed uh, in, in drop pods. Why? Well, because then they can't have the heavy equipment. Well, not only that, but drop pods can't go up. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, Once they're on the planet, that's it. And, yeah, and also, much. we know long-term what Horus's plan is with, in terms of um, his little surprises for them. It's You're not wasting equipment. You're, you, you're keeping all your heavy equipment safe in orbit. You don't have to recover it afterwards. Yep. Except for the Death Guard, where they, they actually have, you know, they, they have to break open trenches. And so. uh, obviously, you have to give them a bit of heavy equipment, but no, no one else has really any uh, much in the way of heavy equipment. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're in a very vulnerable position. Uh, well, so, let's kind, of, let's kind of gloss over the initial actions then, uh, because. You know, it is relevant, but if you want to know the details, to be honest, Galaxy and Flames does a good job of going through the, yeah. the recompliance action. And it it's harder than they imagine, isn't it? That there's more resistance than they believed there would be. Uh, it takes a lot harder, particularly for world eaters. Uh, it's mentioned the world eaters actually get bogged down in the number of bodies they're having to carve through. Um, yeah, and also the Siren Hole, the Empress Children, um, they get they also get bogged down from the, uh, what do they call the, the War Singers. Yeah, that's um, the son. Yeah, the sons of Horus find it really hard to make progress yes, because sorry. of all the war singers um, with their weird psychic shenanigans that they're using. Um, so yeah, so they they do find it harder and harder to break through. And what's even odder for them is they can't make contact with the fleet in orbit. And there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to make contact with the fleet in orbit. So the suspicions. Well, there's concerns there, isn't there? And we actually do see this in Galaxy and Flames. When they're talking about concerns, they can't reach contact with the fleet, but they're a bit occupied in what they're actually doing to do anything about it. Yeah, but still, the uh, the forces on, on the planet, they do they do succeed. Um, they do succeed in their objective. Uh, Prawl, who was the leader of the rebellion, was killed by Lucius. Who, yeah, well, for those who haven't read those books in a while, because you know they came out in like 2008, 2009, uh, Lucius was actually a part of the loyalists sent to die. Yes, and he but he served it, but he's <laughs> but he's like uh, he, he'll he'll easily switch sides. He's like uh, Chang in those classic community uh, people episodes, like constantly like betraying whoever he's with. He's the star screen <laughs> of you, the Empress children. <laughs> you guys have you guys have a faction I could join. Um, so they they succeed in their objective, and that's when you know the classic one 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 of the those those absolute. Um, pivotal moments uh, in this universe happens, which is the uh, the, the 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 life eater virus uh, uh, strike. Yeah, just when you... just when they they had succeeded in all their objectives, uh, then Horus's hand or show Horus shows his hand. Yeah. Now, if you want to know further details about the life eater virus, <laughs> um, there are two previous episodes you can yeah. go back and listen to about that and be terrified and actually how close to them we actually are and how effective they actually would be as well. So we won't go we won't go too much into life eater virus, but go back to previous episodes and listen to the two experts on it and listen to their terrifying insights into it. 
the, the most messed up uh, uh, thing about looking at the Peter virus from a chemistry perspective is the fact that it gives you a reason why you would use it. That's the terrifying bit. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, um, uh, Horace in this particular case uh, didn't intend to uh, 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 sort of scoop up all the slurry and do horrible things with it. Um, this is really, uh, um, this is sending a message. I think that's what we've always talked about. The Very here. much so. It's sending yeah. a message. It's also the most efficient way, isn't it? Let's face it. It is. As horrible as it is, it's a very efficient way to kill that many legionaries without using yeah. up too many of your own resources. What about cyclonic torpedoes? But then you lose the entire planet. And the planet has resources. And he's not and he's not lying. Yeah, yeah I suppose if you do liquefy the marines inside the armor, you could always keep the armor. Yeah, just wash it out. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe trade all those supplies later on for maybe the fealty of a forge world, maybe. Yeah, that's good. But I think and I think the other key thing is the message it like we said, the message it does send. And we see this during the dark compliance where Horus does kill planets to bring other systems in line because he can refer back to them and say, look, look what we did over there. Do you want the same to happen to you? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the Death Star. It's the Tarkin, do- uh, the Tarkin Doctrine, right? Yeah. Okay, so after this horrific unleashment, that's a word, the of, unleashment. Of, of, uh, unleashment of this Dark Age tech, uh, what's Horus's plan from, from that point? What, what's he want to do next? Uh, well, I guess the he plans for all those loyalists on the planet to be dead. Or at worse, you know, like if just there's something still alive, yeah, just keep bombing them. Um, just keep bombing would... the shit out of it, bombing them into oblivion. But yeah, something something gets in the way. Uh, uh, Darren, you mention it. Uh, this is something that you've mentioned frequently. Yeah, um, this seems to be a theme in previous episodes. Pretty much every time we have mentioned the Raider Angel in recent episodes has been him either swinging off the the Hall of the Conqueror <laughs> or Leroy Jenkinson into <laughs> yeah. anything that moves. And he does the same here, doesn't he? He's like, oh, there's loyalist elements of my sons alive. I must go and deal with them personally. I think in Galaxy Flames, he talk about Angron wants to give his sons the honor of being killed personally by him or something like that. Yeah, but you, you could imagine Horus hearing this message, honey. You can just imagine his head going into his hands and just slowly shaking his head. And I love how, how it points out um, in, in, in this particular version of the story, it talks about just like the, the problem it cr- creates for Horus, like how much it fucks Horus's plans up that like yeah. Angron mm-hmm. did this. I mean, do you think if it was later in the heresy, if you think he was fully chaosified by that point, because that's another word, do you yeah. think he would just carried on bombing it? He would just gone, fuck it. I'll, I'll, so, yeah. I'll. If, <laughs> I mean, if he was like full on demon entity, he probably. And he knew a little bit about the warp. Yeah, he might think, yeah, fuck it. I'll bomb into oblivion. I'll get Lorgar maybe to summon him again. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a resummonable asset, isn't it? We can bring him back. No, yeah. but the, 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 the situation as it stands is Horus was... Horus has two options. Either you back up Angron or uh, you bombard the planet and then you go to war with the world eaters. Like, do you need another enemy? Like, is that, yes. is that, is that ideal? This, especially yeah. that unreliable that that volatile and also it's all in the infancy now w- let's be honest mortarian would probably have followed horus regardless because we've, we've often said of death the death guard are 
um, one of the closest allies, if not the closest allies that some Taurus actually have. The Empress children are a bit flighty. They could have turned, and we know Horus is already planning ahead to Isfan 5. So by not backing up Angron, how many of those more kind of fringe traitor legions may have backed down or, or moved away from that potential alliance against the Imperium? So there's political motives behind this as well as tactical strategic method, reasons behind it. Yeah. And also, you don't, you don't, you don't want to fight the world leaders. <laughs> like, you want the world leaders on your side. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. So, I mean, because you never, you never know if you need them for civilian police keeping duties later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but here's the other thing uh, we mentioned earlier: Horus is a consummate um, uh, opportunist. Uh, opportunist, right? So he takes advantage of this. Okay, clearly it fucks up his whole plan. Like clearly, but at the same time, it's like, okay, what can I do to take advantage of this situation? Or does it? Aha, or does I it? this all along. We need to blood our own legion to make sure that they have the mental capacity yeah. to take on their cousin legions. Aha, I, I planned this all along. Good, yeah, good, there's no, exactly. There's no, there's no coming back after that. After you know already... what this is? This is the equivalent of me trying to train the dog. So I'm shouting at this poor creature, sit, sit. It doesn't sit. So I end up going, okay, turn around, sniff the other dog. But I say it with authority as if I'm trying to, yeah, he's doing what I say. This is exactly the same thing. Horus <laughs> said, go attack. Yes, good, Angron. Attack. Yeah, you, 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 at the end of the day, it's just like, oh, this was all this was the plan all along. It obviously wasn't. But you do take advantage of it. And I think at the end of the day, Horus probably, this is probably, you lose a lot of Marines. Like, he, he loses, like, a lot. Like, I think 20,000 or something like that. They, they do mention a number, I think. Um, but at the same time, everybody's now committed. Like if you've, you, because there's no going back now, it's victory or death. You will never be forgiven. And what's quite significant is they send the same legion to fight the brother legion. Yeah. So they send the death guard against the death guard, world eaters against world eaters. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're forcing, as I think Miles mentioned earlier, you're forcing brother to fight brother. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just like we mentioned before about, legionary conflicts that we've mentioned in the past like the um first legion firing on the space wolves for example for example that psychologically it's easier to shoot a guy in a different color armor to you because mm-hmm. they're not you shooting against someone who you were fighting with hours earlier is much much harder so th- there's a sensible reason why to send in the same legion against their own yeah yeah, I mean, it's a psychological thing as well. Once you've done that, you don't have a problem butchering an ultramarine. Yeah, or well, no, one, no, no one would have that issue anyway yeah. with an ultramarine. <laughs> but, we all, but one of the things the Black Library book does very well is just does show the, the, the psychological trauma of doing that. We see that with more of all characters. Mm-hmm. How torn up, like Horace Axman is, by killing um, Tarek. Mm-hmm. And that that's yeah. a theme that goes all the way through to Saturn Nine. So you know the the, the scars of this fan three run deep in, in oh, all yeah. these leaders, possibly not in world leaders, um, but they they do run deep, and it's key to do it. So how does the the fighting go? Because Horus is clearly expecting this to go quickly. I mean, Angron's having a whale at a time at the moment, isn't he? He's deep. He's 
knee-deep in his son's boy at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Mitch, the problem Mitch, is some cases. they're fighting space marines, and space marines do not die easily. And nope. Horus is, I guess, even though he has this genius-level tactical acumen, when the rubber hits the road, he can see just how this plan is playing out and how tough Marines are to dislodge once they dig themselves in. Even the depleted force on the back foot that's already been in, uh, involved in one engagement and been bombed by one of the worst weapons humanity has ever produced, they're still dug in like ticks. And they need reaching out. And that's, what, and that's one of the key things we see, particularly around the Coral City. And the kind of the, the well, the core city and the trench network, isn't it? I mean, they, yeah, they, the talk, they the, talk a lot about how the Death Guard is really entrenched in. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like the Death Guard, because uh, they had somewhere to immediately like run to. They, they had dugouts. They had a bunch of options for when the firestorm started, everything like that. And also Horus created a very difficult battlefield for an attacker. Because uh, the firestorm, uh, uh, you know, the, um, the firestorm um, uh, when he kind of lit the the, the gases uh, from uh, the life eater virus, well, it caused these gigantic uh, clouds of smoke, storms, storms of ash and cloud that like um, uh, cover the whole planet. It made it almost impossible to resupply his forces. So the stuff, uh, the, the 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 troops he sends initially have to do most of the fighting for the first month or so until things clear out a little bit. Uh, it, it, it becomes a very difficult battlefield for the attacker, uh, for the defender. And plus, the defender's already dug in because um, the loyalists were already in defendable positions. They had taken the siren hold. They were in the city. Um, they were in the trench network. Uh, Langron really fucked this up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he really did. And that's one of the things we see in the Black Book as well, isn't it? Is we have a series of maps going through the narrative of this. And we can see actually how little progression is being made by the, um, by the traitor forces, because we can start using that term really more now, can't we? Mm -hmm. um, and it really does show that they don't make any real impact. Yeah, just a lot of, just a lot of killing. By now, the loyalists have begun to like get organized. Um, uh, Loken is, is sort of organized the south and the east. Um, not sure who has the other, well, the, the, the Death Guard, are the only force in the trenches. Um, they're getting organized. They're fighting back. They come up with uh, with essentially a basic strategy of like what you would do as an attacker, you know, um, uh, fast counter uh, counterattacks, and then you disappear into to sewers and tunnels. Um, you have every advantage as a defender in this particular situation. The, the, the only real disadvantage the loyalists have is they don't have any supply. Yeah. And one of the things I was going to add on to that is quite interesting. The Emperor's Children, the Emperor's Children of the Sons Horus seem to do a lot of liaison between the two forces and they, they work together. Um, the Death Guards seem to be very much separated. They're fighting their own war in the trenches and they don't really liaise with the other ones. And then the World Eater section is just one big melee and one big mess. There doesn't seem to be any kind of... Um, key tactical thinking in that area other than throw themselves at each other and with a chain axe and try to do your best really and it i think one of the things to re remember as well is yeah we talk about Lucan quite a lot but it's Tarek who is the main loyalist leader he's he's the center point of the defense of the coral city and he's one who's masterminding everything so we we often hear about 
Loken because we know Loken survives and goes on to other things. But it's Tarek who is probably, if you want to be um, a little bit kind of more argumentative over it, Tarek is the centre, is the fulcrum of defence. He's what the loyalists are pinning themselves around. Um, as an aside, how do you guys feel about Loken surviving? I hated it. I, oh, yeah, same. Okay, yeah. so I'm not the only one. No. Uh, he, thematically, he was the Great Crusade. He embodied the optimism of the age, the ideals, the rhetoric that was used. Killing him at the end of the trilogy felt like a fitting end to that cycle. And it heralded the death of the, the Imperium that could have been and, and brought in the Imperium that was. Yeah, I, I hated it. Okay, uh, I 100% agree. I never sat well with me. Um, and when I found out about it, I was like, that's too stupid. Uh, that's too stupid to be true. And then I eventually, uh, and I liked the, uh, the uh, um, well, the Garrow stories, the Garrow stories. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that yeah. I, I have no problem. They're, they're great stories. Um, I, I enjoy them. And, but like, fuck, I, I, it never sat well with me because mm-hmm. it, it just, it was a good death. It was, it, it, it was a meaningful end for a character. And then you bring him back cheaply. Darth Maul wasn't dead. It's like, it, really? Yeah, it, it, and I agree with that. It cheapened the end of it. I, I agree yeah. with, with Miles. Gar- um, Loken's death is the death of innocence. It, it's, the, it's the line under the, the Great Crusade that ends it. And bringing him mm-hmm. back is this kind of like, oh, and look, w- he, this was a character that was so popular, we decided to bring him back. And it's just like, yeah, it... Yeah, hugely, Gar- hugely disappointed. Garrow filled that that void for me. Garrow was that lingering presence, the one who survived when all his brothers died. Yeah, uh, I, it feels like. I mean, how permanent is death in this universe now? I but hope it opens like, up like, like comic book characters that like uh, no yeah. comic book character stays dead, except for maybe Gwen Stacy. I think Gwen Stacy stayed dead. Uh, will Will Argeltal come back? Will Oh God, Ferris I hope Vanus? no. Yeah, just let them be dead. Have new characters. That's anyway, just, you know, it, it, there has to be some meaning to the danger. If characters can't die, then there's no, there's no feeling. Yeah, there's. Well, to be fair, I think Black Library learned from that because Loken is the only character who has returned from the dead. Because Tarek, Tarek, Tarek Tormageddon doesn't count because he's slightly <laughs> yeah. different now. Um, uh, you know, the so- Dreadnought returned to life. Uh, the Emperor's Children Dreadnought. Right. He, the difference is we didn't see that one die. We just knew he was involved in fighting and then we lost sight of him. So we didn't actually see the chassis being destroyed. So I didn't mind that one. We didn't I see did, his head. We didn't see yeah. him uh, get decapitated. Yeah, we. I didn't <laughs> mind that one because he was a that it, he was an unknown quantity. It, it's not as egregious as uh, Loken. Having Absolutely. a building land on you, yeah. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I I I didn't mind Rillinor, but it, yeah, it's it just it just wasn't good. It didn't sit right, and you know, I was a massive. Well, in fact, I wasn't really a massive Loken fan. I was a little Horus to um Garrett, to um Loken, but yeah, I, I agree. He, he served was, he served a function, right? He was the he master. served a function. Yes. yes, he served a function. Yeah, what he, I hated he was he, he was as uh, uh, charismatic as he needed to be. Yeah. What he, I he was the D'Artagnan of the three musketeers. What I, what I didn't enjoy is how interchangeable um, Saltarvitz 
uh, Loken and Gera were. They were pretty much the same character. <laughs> Gera anyway, had a little bit more to him, but the, fundamentally, they're just, you know, the good guy, uh, point of view, protagonist, um, the, the, uh, the straight up and down uh, 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 loyalist. But we are drifting away from book one talk. I know, I know, uh, I know. Yes. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm sorry, that was my fault. I, I, I did the aside on, on, on Loken, but you reminded me of it. I don't think we've ever talked about it. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, things are going, things are going pretty badly. It's not, you're losing a lot of men here, and it's also keeping Horus's forces pinned in this area. He can't move on with his plans. He can't um, expand on it. And the longer they're there, the longer it's risking news getting out. Now we know the Eisenhorn has already, or the Eisenstein, sorry, has already broken out. We we know that, so we know it's on its way to terror. So Horus, once again, knows he's against the clock. This seems to be a theme with Horus. He he likes playing. Uh, jeopardy with his missions he likes having a time ring he, he likes those timed missions like you, you get on uh computer games and stuff so he likes those those kind of elements he likes um, space hulk yeah he, he likes his two and a half minute timer yeah. um, <laughs> so the longer he's here dealing with these loyalist elements the longer he has got a risk of being trapped by other loyalist elements from other legions that could be mobilized at any moment so he needs to deal with this quite quickly, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Which he, is he, he needs to. I mean, that's his modus operandi. We've talked about this. You render compliance in an afternoon. You bugger off. Yeah. So he's. So they do start to deploy more and more heavy assets, don't they? Like the Titan Legion. Now, DSR Ira was already on the planet anyway from Legio Mortis, but more um, from Volper and more from Aldax and more from Mortis are all deployed onto the planet and more Mechanicum as well yeah uh yeah. The, the, in particular the order reductor i like their like sphere ship they have one on on, on at the siege of terror as well because it's like a, this this big ass uh a, a sphere that just like slams into the planet like a bullet and and deploys like phallax and uh, uh automata all, yeah all the all the all, order reductor goodies yeah, exactly um, so yeah, he he he's putting everything in to try to like because uh, uh, this last two months, two months the loyalists um, uh, defended uh, their positions. Pretty impressive. It is, it, but it also says something about the tenacity of Astartes in a prepared defensive position. Yeah, it, it says something about how long they can use up uh, survival. What also does help on a practical level because you've got legion, the same legion fighting the same legion is. You can rob the dead of their equipment. Mm. So that that is yep. one of the ways for loyalists are getting resupplied. Is for every legionary they kill, they can get the equipment off them, the ammunition and so on. Whereas possibly if they were fighting other legions, they've got slightly different caliber bolt weapons and so on. So the ammunition would be <laughs> less awkward to use. That that's more for a practical error, but it, it does allow the loyalists to first of all be resupplied and also to start picking up heavier equipment as well because. Uh, we see it, don't we, that Lucius kills a uh, chaplain and a land raider, for example. So examples like that means they can get those kind of vehicles on their side. Yeah, yeah. It, it's all interchangeable with them. Yeah, absolutely. But either way, this was never going to be a victory for the Loyalists. Uh, they did manage to do a lot of damage. Um, it, it, I don't know if you could say that Horus immediately started the heresy with a loss because it's at best appearance yes. victory. 
Um, unlike unlike the drop site massacre, which was just a straight yeah, up sl- slam dunk. That was a slam yeah. dunk, but this one is just like things went wrong. It, Ron. A, yeah, it's a period victory, isn't it? He's they've they've succeeded in getting rid of elements which aren't going to support them, but they've used up a lot more resources than they wanted to do. But they did ensure the loyalty of those that survived. Yep. Yeah, they all became hardened. They're used to the reality rather than the abstract nature yep. of Legion upon Legion warfare. And, and they they're know, exactly they're veterans of interlegionary warfare. That's and they pretty know how good. bitter, how bitter the wars are that will come. So how does Horus uh, finish this off? Because eventually after two months, uh, for one thing, the loyalists are starting to run out of steam, starting to run out of resources, starting to run out of bodies, um, starting to run out, starting to run out of bodies. Um, so how, how does Horus finish this off? Well, he gets a man on the inside. Gets a little snitch. Um, so uh, I, I believe in the uh, black books, it's described as uh, Lucius uh, turning traitor. Well, double traitor, triple traitor, quadruple traitor. Um, selling out the remaining loyalists uh, to have sort of like a flanking maneuver to take that side of things. Um, but eventually, it, it's just the overwhelming amount of resources you could throw at it and it's just the the, the loyalists are worn down yeah it's a tr- it's a traditional warfare isn't it and eventually mm-hmm. the side who can bring very more resources and more equipment and keep their side supplied for longer is going to win that war mm-hmm. you can throw titans at the um the loyalists you can't throw you can't do vice versa you have access to the titan legios yeah and they just so, break yeah, them open. It, so the loyalists are eventually just ground down, aren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's not a good way to go. Um, but like we said, like we've said, Horus ends this, ends this with four legions which are entirely dedicated now to moving forward. Yeah, so he withdraws. Uh, there's still some tiny holdouts, uh, but he just bombards the planet at that point. He, I guess he convinces Angron. It's just like, okay, it's done, Angron. Like, come on, like, we got it. We got some other shit to do, uh, and and then it just they, they flatten what's left. It wasn't the huge victory that I think Horus wanted to start off on, but you know, again, I'll uh, take later, it. Yeah, you know, it's it, it wasn't that bad. And he took advantage of it to to improve again to um, to improve his own forces. You know, get a little bit more experience and ensure that everybody was hundred percent committed. I mean, either way, this action wasn't going to inspire much in the way of morale, but at least this way, everyone involved knows, like you said, the psychology has changed. They're they're in this now. You're either going to win or you're going to die. And you know the reality of how bitter interlegionary warfare actually is. So coming back on to our uh, first question and the reason we wanted to do this segment, um, what does this book add to the story? Because this is a story we all knew going into it mm-hmm. uh detail context grit it's um so this is something i say with my painting a lot uh when it comes to horror heresy i enjoy painting the style but i want you to see the grit beneath your fingernails beneath the miniatures fingernails and that's what i think this book gives you it, it examines in such exhaustive detail that you can see or you can feel like you can see the grit beneath these individual legionnaires fingernails yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think it gives a very different way to play the game as well. I mean, one mm. of the things that is 
when Heresy first came out, let's be honest, a lot of people who weren't immediate Heresy fans were a bit reluctant because it was, well, it's just Marine on Marine, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where where yeah, the nuances? Where where do the nuances come from? How how is my Marine Army different to your Marine Army? Because we need to remember this came this was released under fifth edition. Yeah, this, that's the thing. The, the original Legion Army list was a fifth um, was a fifth edition forty k Army list, and at that point the codexes weren't as detailed as they are in the current edition. Um, no. So the nu- so the nuances weren't there. So what this book gave us when you looked at the Legion rules was suddenly a realisation of how different each Legion played and the fact that your World Eaters were going to fight differently to your Empress children. And those nuances came across really well. Just simple, I mean, in often there were, what, just four simple rules, three of which were advantages and one of which is normally a disadvantage. And the nuance that made on the table really came across with just mm. very, very subtle, subtle additions or modifications to the rules. Uh, have you played any Book One Legion? So j- just Book One against Book One uh, uh, games? No. No, I've, I've got a friend who's waiting to do Death Guard, but he's mm-hmm. waiting for the mythical Mark II plastics. Might be waiting a while. Uh, yeah, keep waiting. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's uh, been waiting since Book One, so, you know, oh he's waiting. God. <laughs> So I, I've played uh, just admittedly a very small 1500 point Centurion game, but it did include Angron. And I have to say, they do stack up very well against one another. Inter- we, t- we keep talking about the internal balance of these books, that when we look to the Prospero book, okay, outside of that meta, yeah, Custodies are horrible. Um, Thousand Sons also could be supercharged. Within this meta of book one, the armies fighting against one another, it, it's fairly evenly balanced because a power sword has a lot of traction um, in, the, in this because there's a lot of just, just Mark uh, uh, Armor 3 uh, floating around. Like an auto cannon does damage in this. Um, my bolters from my Justerian did a lot of damage to the uh, opposing um, word be- uh, world eaters. So internally, it makes for really, really fun game. Well, the one game I played was one of the best games of Heresy I've played. And uh, I think... I, sorry, go on. Go on, Mars. No, I was just going to say it was super fun. Yeah. Wait, wait, was, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Is that, that the Angron game that you played? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you've, been, you've been talking about that with us um, on, the, uh, on, on, on the chat. You want to talk about that? or? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, we, we wanted to play one of the... well. Uh, it, this all stems from the return to a stand challenge. We've uh, we've built our armies, we've painted them. We wanted to try them out. Um, there's a scenario in here called "Come Up the Red Angel." Uh, we did a slight tweak on that, so we imagined because we have both traitor armies, uh, Angron had run mad and he's running behind the supply lines of the traitors. Horus has sent Abaddon to try and point uh, Angron in the right direction. So uh, I. But the rest of my army was wiped out by the world eaters. They were just overwhelmed completely. Uh, but I did manage to do a danger deep strike right next to the table edge of uh, Abaddon, who had a full unit of just staring with plasma guns, combi plasma. I managed to take out the unit to just uh, to the point where Angron was taking wounds. Gone down to two wounds. 
he well uh, i eventually ended up charging him with abaddon uh angron he has this wonderful ability where he can challenge everybody in in a squad well and just there encounters characters as as far as challenges occur so he went up to like nine attacks horrendous but (laughs) i i did have a very small window where I was able to charge with Abaddon and attack with five power fist attacks, I did just enough to kill Angron. And because of the way the um, uh, combat points stack, uh, I automatically won the game. Uh, even though the rest of my... It was practically just Abaddon left on the on the table. So we decided that Abaddon punched Angron to the ground, uh, pointed west. That's the way you need to go. Up he got and off he went. And I think one kind of following on from that, one of the key points I think to take away from this is there was no established meta for no. Armulus at this point. And a lot of the units we're now used to don't exist in this first version of the Legion Armulus. So things like uh, Leviathans, for example, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the Scorpius or the Sakaran don't exist in book one. And mm-hmm. The way the, the book is set up, and let's kind of talk about the campaign system, the book has the six standard missions that we're fully used to in playing Heresy Gaming now, but they were part of campaign games. And then at the end of a campaign point, you played a legendary mission. Mm-hmm. And the 40k meta when 5th edition dropped was 1500 point games. Mm-hmm. And the way yeah. a lot of those original missions, those six missions are designed, I'm sure were written with armies of 1,500 points because when you get to the legendary missions, which are meant to be, you know, the big climatic boss fights, as it were, they have very, very different points values. There's a couple in which they're two and 3,000 points. One is 1,000 points because it's a rescue for civilians mission, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But I'm convinced the original iteration of well, the Legion Army list was designed around 1500 point games. And it's not until the heresy community takes hold of the game. And, and I think it's, let's say the word greed, we want more of the excited units in there that the game expanded into 3000 points. And it wasn't until we got to what, book four, book five, that there was a, a shift in the community to go and bring it back down to smaller games, which is where more Centurion developed. Yeah. So it's like we've come full circles. And this is one of the things that I always say to um, friends in my gaming group and, and people I communicate on online is don't always think you have to play Heresy at two to 3,000 points because sometimes those 1,000-point games are some of the most exciting Heresy games you can have. And book one, and we see it to some extent with some of the later missions in book two and book three, Exemplify that. And book one introduces updated Zone Mortalis rules. Now, we had previously Zone Mortalis rules in the Badab War books. Book one tweaked those rules and made it clear that fighting in places like the Coral City or the Trench Networks were Zone Mortalis games, and they bring in specific stratagems for that as well. And how many games of Zone Mortalis are being played now? Zone Mortalis is one of the re- most popular forms of heresy game. Partic- yeah particularly now we've got the plastic ne- uh, plastic zomortalis kits as well mm-hmm. yeah and like the necromunda yeah yeah and book one introduced that to us so book one lays a foundation for so much of what we currently use this idea that you have this campaign system of several standard missions with a legendary mission to the end of it which you know book four later builds on we're going to be doing a session on book four uh later this year mm-hmm. so in terms of the gaming element, 
the gaming element fits into a narrative. That idea that you have these small forces fighting out in small, isolated pockets, which could be Zone War Tireless games, or you could expand them up. We, we can't forget, we saw Primarchs for the first time on the tabletop. Oh, yeah. That was huge. And you, you know, the first time we came across Primarchs back in Road Trader, when they were kind of mentioned very, very briefly, and really developed more as a background piece in uh, second edition, we dreamed of having Primarchs on the tabletop. And suddenly here we have four Primarchs with their rules. And it solved, it answered the question, what does a Primarch look like? I think almost everybody, mm-hmm. when you got this book, the first thing you do is you, you immediately go check out the Primarchs. Yeah, 100%. You, you, flick, yeah. you flick towards the rule section. Because yeah. there was, uh, there was a couple rival uh, heresy fan rule sets that were done in the late 2000s. Um, and I, I remember one of the, uh, like this was a while ago, I remember one of them, the Primarchs, all their stats were 10. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All their stat line was 10 and they had one plus armor. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and it was interesting to see um, the take that that Forge World had. It's just like, no, they're not unkillable. They're going to go down. doesn't mean they're dead in the story, but, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it like, could be neutralized. Wounded. Yeah, like yeah. what you said, right? Like Abaddon fucking punched him real good and he went down for a minute. doesn't yeah. mean that he's dead. And I figure uh, that like in a normal game, right? Um, uh, the, 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 the levels... You got to imagine that most of the Marines are wounded and not dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, I don't think it's necessary to make the the, the, the Primarchs unkillable, and they didn't. I, I found they found a good balance, and they all play different, which was really cool. So that was one of the things I absolutely loved about, uh, about this book. It was so exciting. It's like, we get to see what a Primarch does. It's exciting. And it was so fun. And I think, I mean, you say you first to full turn to the Primarch pages. I'm going to be the exception here and say I didn't. I turned to the artwork to look mm. at the Legion colour plates because they mm. were phenomenal. Um, looking them, and it wasn't just the fact you had a picture of a Marine. We're used to that. I mean, White Dwarf had run the Index of Status articles, hadn't they, when they went through all the, the first founding Legions, mm-hmm. the first founding yeah. chapters, and then yeah. the Chaos versions of them as well. So we, we'd had ideas of colour schemes for pre-Heresy era yeah. Legions. And then we looked at the Forgeord version of them. And the detail on them, and not just the detail of the actual artwork, the captions then went with them that told us this was ex-Marine who was serving in this area with this squad, and he did this, this, and this in his service, and would la- and with some of them would later go on to do this. Um, I, I reckon I, I, I remember from some of the artwork in book one that you had some of the Isfan survivors with what we would now refer to as Mark V armor. They had combinations of armor plates put together, like a Mark III shoulder pad with Mark II legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the inspiration that gave me, I mean, for those of us who played Sons of Horus, and Miles, you've now discovered this pain of yes. Sons of Horus green. Yeah. Trying mm-hmm. to pin down the Sons of Horus color scheme with the GW paints as they were at that time. Well, if you put, I hesitate to use the term, but if you put original collectors of Sons of Horus armies from book one, when book one drops, I can guarantee if you put 20 of us in a room, none of our armies would have identical identical colour skills. <laughs> yep. Don't they make a colour? They do now, but that didn't come out to about book six. And what I loved is in the Sons of Horus background, they clarified why that was going to be the case, that everyone's armies were different. 
And they talked about the fact that as the heresy goes on, the Sons of Horus green gets darker. So it's not one shade of green. It's multiple shades of green. And I love That's that throwaway nice line so that it explained why everyone's army or everyone's Sons of Horus army was different. You know, you say people's armies are different. It feels like every unit I paint is a slightly different shade of green. Yes. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that as well. Yeah. But what do you, I mean, Miles, from an artist and painter's point of view, what, what did you think of the art? What did you think of the artwork? I mean, it, it was just mind-blowing. I mean, some of the colour plates, you can see references to the uh, Badab Wars, especially like the lion effigies that they sort of like imprint onto the armour, some of the angels. It, it's exactly the same design. But you have that level. It's like everything in this book, that level of detail, that microscopic attention to detail and bringing this universe to life and taking the subject matter um, taking it with a level of seriousness mm. that I don't think we've seen previously. I mean, Alan Bly, you can tell like he, did he have like a history degree or something like that? You can tell this is an unbelievably imaginative and intelligent man who's applying these rarefied skills to creating future fake history. But I, yeah, I, I, clearly, and we know how instrumental Alan was involved in it, but we need to recognise the team that was actually working with him oh, at yes. the time as well, because John French was a large part of that writing team, and mm -hmm. very often his name's overlooked in those early books, but John French was hugely instrumental in the, the first opening trilogy. Um, Andy Hall, current head of Specialist yep. Games, was involved as well. Do you have na Nitten names... Neil wasn't on board until book two, so he wasn't involved in book one, I don't believe. Um, well, there's, there's also our homie Paul Rudge. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. Great dude. Uh, he's one who also designed all the, 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 the brass ash that unfortunately they don't do anymore, but uh, uh, brilliant design work. Yeah. So we need to recognize the huge team effort behind it. And I think yeah. that's really key to understand too. Kind of the, there is an afterword, Alan Bly, June 2012. Uh, just skim reading it. I can't see any names that leap out immediately. But yeah, everyone mentioned there. There, I mean, we know how small the the team was working on this, so everybody had input into this. Oh, Mark Bedford, of course, uh, yeah. Matthew Kane, uh, who yeah. I'm very proud to say uh, now produces tutorials for Little Legend Studio that on the Patreon. Yeah, I mean, you got it in. You got one in. I got you in. always I got get in. one in. Custodians. But also. The next week. <laughs> <laughs> there is no shame. Oh my god, you've got it so good. I, I I barely notice anymore when you plug it when you plug the patron. He's doing all the Legion guides as well. So every single Legion in the original Fort World schemes he's doing. But anyway. But also um sculpts like Will Hayes and Sam Egan for bring us. Oh, I mean God almighty, we, yeah. I mean we cannot we, we cannot undervalue Sam Egan enough for his prime. Having talked to Sam, Sam is one of the nicest blokes I have ever spoken to at Open Days and looking through his reference folders for the Primarchs is mm. phenomenal. And if anyone ever gets the opportunity to talk to Sam about his Primarchs, and he will talk to you for hours about the smallest detail. But, you know, Will Hayes for designing the Contemptor, Dreadnought. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the team behind these original books. I guess you have to give Jez Goodwin as well, like the grandfather of Citadel well, yeah. Richard Design, because the Contemptor is based off his drawings in something yeah. like the 80s. And Mark II, Three Armour. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Orchard's good. So, you know, the, the genesis this, of, of it was huge. This feels like a group of A-grade, talented individuals all working at the peak of their profession, all gathered in the same place at the same time. It was such a perfect storm of creative elements in this book. And it's no wonder it's launched the third arm of uh, Games Workshop. Because it, in their financial statements, they mention 40K, Age of uh, Sigma, and Horus Heresy as their three main game systems. I don't seem to treat it like it is, but anyways. By the time this episode goes out, I bet that statement will will. And I hope so. God damn it, yeah, I hope too. so. And, and at the end of the day, look how much money we've spent on this. And well, look how many hours yeah. we've spent talking about this universe. Shh. Don't tell my <laughs> wife. No, no, we don't, we don't talk about it. Because it, it was only a cheap arm. It was only, you know, less than... Yeah, less than, fucking, you know, like, we'll, we'll, we'll get one of these models cost, like, $5? Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 just okay. toys. Totally just yeah. toys, after all. Yeah, that's it. So I think that's quite a good place to leave our discussion on book one, isn't it? Yeah, this is fun. I think so. Yeah, it, it, it's that, crazy that, that we, we we just we've never we've never talked about it before, and there's some really cool stuff in there. Um, and we want to concentrate on the lore, obviously, because we don't know where the rules are going. We have no idea. Kind of hard to plan <laughs> episodes when we have no idea where the rules are going. Uh, thankfully, Titanicus has stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this is really this is enjoyable. So um, this is a weird episode. We've kind of we, we've gone from talking about the future um, and then a turn to talking about the past. Um, uh, so we're, we're covering all the bases, I guess. Well, they're not making new stuff. So we have to talk about the past. Got to talk about something. Um, talk about something. Uh, welcome back, everyone. If you went anywhere for a cup of tea or used the toilet. And I mean, we, I know we do produce long episodes. Uh, but this is the outro, and it's a little bit unusual because, well, there's just so much kind of like stuff that's been happening between us recording the intro and the outro happening now. Namely, uh, Horse House releases. We are coming to the end of the cycle where we've seen all previewed Praetors and previewed miniatures, apart from the Sons of Horus Praetor, which kind of leaked out by mistake. Uh, and we've seen a new gaming supplement. But beyond that, what, what lies ahead of the heresy? Oh, there's just so much potential. It certainly feels like momentum is building towards something, doesn't it? I mean, we've we've been through a lot of famine, and suddenly they've just been throwing stuff at us, at us left, right, and centre. I mean, getting that bonus campaign. I mean, we knew Argotel was coming. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. The old yep. Green Praetors have been released very quickly compared to their initial pre yes. Legion Dispatch. I mean. You know, I was expecting that to be another couple of months before they came on. Then mm -hmm. they went, oh, here you are. Um, we got Argotel with rules, which maybe we'll chat about. And then we got that free um, Pluto campaign. So Yeah, and uh, when we were discussing this kind of off-air, Darren, you brought up a really good point that some of the rules are, are differently worded uh, in, yeah. in that supplement. Yeah, it, it looks the same, doesn't it? On first glance through, I had a, I, I had a quick read through um, mm -hmm. and just a scan. You thought, yeah, brilliant. Okay, I can see how this fits into Praetorian of Dawn and we can see how Alpharius is clearly dead by the end of that. Sorry, JP. Hey. Um, he's dead. The Imperial Fist get a win for once. Um, 
But when you read through the actual mission specifics, on the surface, they look identical to what we've had previously. I and mean, in kind of like the current main missions we've had in the Age of Darkness rulebook and campaign missions and so on. But when you look carefully, some of the things we normally kind of expect on there are subtly different. Like the secondary mm-hmm. objectives are written out, specially mentioned what they are. You don't get the usual, you know, um, kill the warlord, break them a line. And norm- in a normal mission pack, they're just mentioned. And then you have to look them up in the main rulebook to find out what you, you have to do for them. These ones are specially mentioned. Now, possibly, I mean, if we want to rein back the conspiracy theory, uh, possibly that's because this is a specific narrative campaign. So you're not using typical mission objectives. Or if we want to be, you know, hopeful, wide-eyed, keen Spiritorial. for the future. Maybe it's because this is where mission packs are going to go in a possible second edition, which could be out soon, because it certainly feels like momentum is building towards something. Yeah, you see in the language, I mean, like, like uh, it, it only occurred to me when you're reading through Argyll Tal's rules as well, they mentioned the Vakryal. Uh, and at the moment, Argyll Tal, he can't really fit in with the Serrated Sun, Right of War, which he's the head of at the moment. Mm. But we don't know what the future books may herald or what the Vakryal will be or how we'll be in, or how characters indeed will be incorporated into the lists going forward. Yeah, I mean, it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Because they released his rule sheet, fantastic, mm-hmm. but you have to wonder how much that is future-proof looking ahead. Because we've seen before when they've done free download rules, have rules that then been tweaked in mm-hmm. the main book when they've come out. We, we saw that with things like the, uh, the Saber, the Termite, for example, um, even some earlier characters we've seen tweaked when they did initial free downloads. So it is interesting, but I think what it also, for me, suggests is why are they throwing free campaign rules at people and giving us free download rules for a system that is possibly going to change quite dramatically in potentially two or three months' time? End times. (laughs) Come on, I've seen this before. We have seen it before. Yeah, we have seen it with, like, end times. We've seen it with, like, change from from 7th to 8th. 8th edition, but that's also from Remain Studio that has a far large number of people working on those systems and they're working much further ahead. Yeah, and whenever, I mean, so the old world, for example, when they got the hard reset, how much, in terms of advertisement and resources, the Games Workshop put behind Age of Sigma to make it fly? If they did the same thing with the Horus Heresy, kind of draw a line under what's been before. You have to think just how much resources they're going to throw into this new edition to make sure it's successful. Yeah, and actually I was talking to a friend about this because he was asking my opinion. He doesn't play Heresy um, because he's kind of building up towards um, this new edition. He's hoping they certain things like Plastic Mark II will be out. And Mm. one of the things he commented on is as an outsider looking in towards Heresy, it's gaining public awareness. It's, it's putting that awareness out there. This is still a live, active system and mm-hmm. it's encouraging people to be joining in with it. So, and we've seen this before where GW are very, very good at building up the hype to a new game system. Um, I could mention Curse City, but that game is cursed, so we don't want to mention that. Yes. <laughs> um, 
you know, we've we've saw it with new editions of 40K, Age of Sigma, which have been released, even the smaller systems like Warcry. It's unusual that they haven't done it previously for things like specialist games. Although if you look at some of the recent Titanicus releases, like War, uh, like Warmaster Titan, they have mm-hmm. done these kind of big promo videos towards it. So are mm-hmm. we building up towards that? And I mean, Forge Wars, especially the Heresy, it's always been its own sort of thing, right? Its own ship with its own flag. Uh, and it's kind of sailed wherever it may. It would be nice for them to be incorporated into like a larger sphere of influence. So we do get the promotional materials. We do get the Warhammer community uh, spotlights. Um, I mean, when you look at a game like Necromunda or, or Titanica, seeing the sort of release schedules that they go through, where and we could draw very rough comparable uh, uh, parallels between it that we may see a book every uh, quarter or so uh, going by Necromunda with accompanying uh, either characters or maybe like a box set to go alongside it. I don't like Lupakai. Uh, okay, I'm getting into wish list. Oh, here. don't tease me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, get, I'm getting into complete uh, wish list here. I'm getting into the reads now. Uh, but it would be nice for the heresy, whatever it may be, to be incorporated into the wider sphere and get the same sort of cover. I mean, w- watching Necromunda again re-released has been a thing of wonder. Um, the, 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 the influx of new members of that community, the excitement, the roadmaps, the, just the community in general feels very vital uh, right now. And I hope, I mean, the heresy needs that shot in the arm. Yeah, I agree to you to some extent. I think even if we kind of put aside uh, a potential new edition, and we've all seen the photos of the new models and bits and pieces, and even if we don't get a new edition this year, which, you know, we're now in September, there's not that long of this year to go. So, and obviously there's still global situations, but let's park all that and put that to one side. Even if we're sticking with the current rule set, the fact that we've got more material appearing on Warhammer community in terms of things like the Legion Dispatches. And the last couple of articles haven't even been a Legion Dispatch. They've just been heresy articles. We had a campaign system come out, which was free. And we've had a whole plethora of new models with at least one more in in standby that we know about. It does feel like things are looking up for heresy again. It does look like we are heading towards a bit more of a better release schedule for it. Maybe we're just looking at the silver lining rather than the dark storm clouds gathering. But even if we look at the fact that we want a new edition, we'd like it, I'd love a new edition personally, but even if we don't get one for another six months, or 12 months, let's look at kind of worst case scenarios, potentially we are going to get more releases with downloadable rules because we've now got precedent with Argotel that they'll do that. All right, so that was a pretty good, um, I guess, they're good bookends to this episode uh, because we recorded them like a month apart. And so I guess we started with we know nothing and we ended with we know nothing. But we may, we, we stay positive. There's something coming. There's something in the air. You can, you can smell it. Like, well, you know, like when it's about to uh, start raining, you can kind of smell it. It's an interesting metaphor, but yes, but yeah, it's good, isn't it? The thing, the things are on the up. So let's see what people people have been doing to build up towards this. All right, well, let's um, start. Let's start with us. Glorious what age. What about you, Darren? How, how many millions of things have you gotten done in the past two weeks? Well, to be fair, 
it was during my summer break. So I, I was oh. doing hobby most days. So I, I managed to get quite a bit done. So um, probably the, the big thing is I finished the third batch of my Iron Warrior ZM project. So that's uh, three quarters of the way through now. Um, I managed to get all the power armor done on the Havocs, which is my batch four. Uh, and I also got all the metals done on the Tranchlers that are going in with that um, batch four as well. Um, I finished some dwarf monitors for Man of War because that that's still plugging, that's still plugging away in the background. Um, and I started to prep some battle mechs and elementals for battle tech because that's kind of caught my attention again recently. Excellent. What about yourself, Miles? Um, nothing in heresy. <clears throat> that's why uh, I've been painting up a classic uh, Necromunda Redemptionist gang. Uh, and I've been sort of like messing around with a couple of Goliath gangers. That uh, so the the law for my gang is that they've settled in their new place. They've managed to find a doctor uh, who isn't too crazy to produce more Goliaths. Um, but the second generation, they aren't quite right. They they didn't. They, they should have been left in the cooker for a little bit longer. Uh, so I've been been I've converted up. Uh, Blight Kings from the AOS range uh, with some Goliaths uh, to, to create really malformed things. Uh, so that, that's what I've been up to. When and catch say, up with commission work. When you say classic redemptionist, you mean the old metal? The old metal ones, yes. Oh. Yeah. Great models. Uh, been painting those up. Uh, <laughs> so my gang leader, um, because in, in the new book, you need a lot of guys, uh, and I, ha- I have a few of the classic gangs. I don't really want to add to them. When I paint a gang, I like doing it in, in one big batch, and that's it. Any hangers-on, like ambots, I'll, I'll build it alongside them. Uh, sorry, uh, afterwards. Uh, but I'm kind of like a bit of a loss because I haven't got that many redemptionist uh, models. So, uh, But what I do have is quite a lot of... Um, the old sister Repentia, the metal ones. So I've decided my gang leader, he has his, well, he's trying to build his own coven, his own stable of brides of the emperor. Yeah, he's, he's not a, he's a charismatic man, but he is not a kind man. That fits with Necro though, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a, yeah. Ter- it's a terrible, it's a, it, it's a horrible universe. You have to embrace the horror of this universe. <clears throat> Yeah, this is not a nice match. I mean, yeah. the Redemptionists anyway, they got that kind of edge to them anyway, where they are horrible people by nature. Um, yeah, so I, I'm trying to up the horribleness of these people as much as I can. Excellent. How about you, JP? Um, I uh, built one Terra Marine, or at least like the test model for my Terra Marines. Finally getting that project on the road. Nice. Um, uh, so uh, using uh, Abyss from Reavers, but I realized I didn't buy, I forgot to buy arms. Because I've got I've got uh, Night Lord's heads, Reaver bodies, then Volkites, um, but I didn't have I forgot to buy arms. Uh, so, but I had a bunch of Chaos Space Marine arms lying around. So I I I I, I put Chaos Space Marines. I should really I can need to start posting things on the page again. Um, I keep forgetting to do it. But um, so I used the uh, Chaos Space Marine arms. Looks pretty good. So I think I'm gonna go forward with that. And I also painted two Hero Quest orcs and worked on the bases for uh, several more. Um, I'm, I'm working on right now. Uh, we started playing Hero Quest again with some uh, with with a group of people that haven't really played these games before. So, and I think Hero Quest is still great as an entry game. It still yeah. works very well. Uh, I made a few modifications to it um, 
just to make it a little feel a little bit more modern because it's still a very clunky old system. Still a great introduction. So now I'm working on uh, getting all the models painted for the second quest, which is the rescue of Sir Ragnar. Uh, so mainly green skins and a couple of Famir, um, and the heroes. So that's what I'm working cool. on right now. Good old Famir. Awesome. Good old Famir. See, they're not in the, the, the Milton Bradley re-released Hero Quest and uh, the Famir are not in it. Yeah, yes. for, for obvious yeah. reasons. Um, but anyways, why did that sound like a good idea? Anyways, for those that don't know what we're talking about, just look up Famir and you can probably see where the problem is for 2021. Um, yeah. So that's what we did. So what about our listeners? Uh, so this would be the phase that, uh, that ended on September 3rd, I believe. Yep. Um, so again, everybody knows we're a bit behind and erratic, but, uh, let's see what our listeners are doing. Uh, Miles, you want to take us down? Sure thing. So we have Dan Porter. He's done some wonderful ultramarines. Gorgeous. Uh, yeah, abs- I mean, he, he, uh, a squad of space, uh, space Marines and a dreadnought. Uh, we have Bill Bonko with a very nice word bearer saber. Uh, oh, I love the some, yeah, battle tech as well. That's a battle tech. Sweet. Oh, it's nice for a little vulture in it and, and a summoner. Shadow cat. Cool. He's got, I think, those new plastics as well. David Collin. Uh, Finnish plague drones forgotten to post them. Uh, that's okay, David. Uh, they look superb. Um, okay, Andrew Wood, not a lot. Victoria, Australia, back in lockdown. Yeah, I, I feel your pain. Um, hopefully, you should come out of lockdown soon. Question mark. Uh, okie dokie so we have Alpharius Omegon large scale BFG world eaters fleet what to make of these guys they're gorgeous aren't they they're really nice you know they're they're rescaling Battle for Gothic when it comes back out yeah Yeah. funny enough we were talking about that in my um, gaming group the other day we were saying like so many of us are just on the verge of picking up some 3D (laughs) print ships but we all said as soon as we finish building the fleet Specialist Games is going to announce, oh, we're re-releasing Epic, uh, re-releasing yeah. um, BFG, and we've resized it. So nothing is going to be yeah, appropriate. So, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're, we're holding off, but it's getting more and more difficult all the time. But these these are really nice. Yeah, no, I mean, there's it's a big thing in the community about rescaling the heresy, but let's sidestep that <laughs> let's, into let's Arthur dodge. Alex. Yeah, I got my claws up for a game at 2,500 points. Uh, so Alex is a student of mine. I've been, we have been working on this army the better part of a year. And it's it's lovely to see it sort of like all come together at the end. Uh, absolutely beautiful. I, I haven't watched the uh, battle battle uh, report yet, Alex, but um, give that a whirl soon. Uh, so we've got Keith Craycraft worked on a drop pod. For a terror squad. Yeah, I'm going to have to do nice. the same soon. I started on a five-man vet squad for Dark Angels. Oh, both sides of Thramas. Oh, and a jet bike. Nice. It's a nice dark blue. I like that. I think it's a good color. Mm. Ed McBurney, a few more Terminators, including the company command. Oh, beautiful. That's nice. So yeah, we've, nice. Talk, we, we've talked extensively about Ed's Night Lords. Uh, oh, this is a great conversion using, I believe, the uh, Sons of Horus um, command yeah, I like that. He, yeah, yeah. He put bat wings on the uh, the, mm-hmm. the the Sons of Horus sigil at the top. Wicked, love it. I might steal that, Ed. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, banners and units can make everything better. Um, Sean Gray, a couple of things from my World Eaters. Uh, we have a Spartan. Hopefully, we'll be seeing that in plastic soon. 
Cameron Smith finished off my veteran squad. That's been 85% done for two years. Oh, phenomenal work. And some box dreads. Everybody uh, loves box, box dreads. Oh, yeah. you know I've got so into box dreads for my iron worries. I'm box dreads are so one. hot right now. Yeah, I was only going to get one. I've enjoyed making it so much. I did a second. Lovely, <laughs> lovely kit. Considering the age of it, it works so well still. Gorgeous measures. And then got the majority of the lockdown build. So he's building a Thunderhawk. Very, very, very nice. Sean Gray has a really battered um, World Eater uh, uh, tank. Uh, what is that Vindicator. Called? That's a Vindicator. Vindicator. Yeah, I guess uh, that the pictures did not all come because uh, we're scrolling down the Facebook, right? So I guess the pictures didn't <laughs> all uh, load up at the same time. But yeah, nice and dirty. Love it. Ooh, got Philip Hansen uh, with a wonderful uh, classic Mordian models. JP, you could appreciate these. Yes. Classic Valhalla and sound, uh, fun yourself. Darren Winter, superstar with his uh, gorgeous, gorgeous sign wars. I've been keeping track of these on Twitter as you've been putting them up. Absolutely love the work of that. Oh, Peter Davy, lots and lots and lots of black and red working on his bikes. It looks like a bike company. That is awesome. Love it. Uh, Sarah Elwood, not much. Uh, I only got sand on my champion's base. That's fine. That's hobby. That's something. <laughs> a little bit of something goes a long way. Uh, Tom Gould has 20 st- storm vermin in the bag. They look suitably grubby and ratty. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous stuff. Nice, nice yeah. square basing. We are not against square basing here. So it's not I'm what we do normally, basing. but we're, we're definitely pro square base. Uh, then we have, that is it. That's everybody completed. Uh, now shout out to for- Ellis uh, who uh, just pointed out that they did nothing. That's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those were the two cop challenges for um, uh, things that were done in the last two weeks. Um, so to end this episode, I got a shout out uh, front of the show, Ben, who uh, who sent me? He often sends me uh, uh, metal bands, but there's a band called Baneblade, and it's definitely a, it's definitely for gay themed. They describe themselves as the perfect soundtrack for disemboweling Nazis and other fascist scum. Um, they have an album called Iron Within uh, Iron Without, or a song called Iron Within uh, Iron Without. I might end with that one, but either way, we're playing some Baneblade because uh, who doesn't want some? <laughs> I just got to quote what Ben said about it. <laughs> Anti-fascist Warhammer themed bolt thrower worshipping death metal band performing songs about Iron Warriors. It's like, I think you're going to like this, JP. It's like, yeah, okay, you got it. <laughs> um, so uh, what are we doing next episode? Next episode is uh, Alternate Heresy. Yes. Yeah, next episode is all the uh, all Heresy. Uh, so it's a, a slight break from our, our planned schedule for that. But... Um, yeah, looking looking forward to that because yeah, we always get some episode. good good episode, good good ideas from that. Excellent. So that's pretty much going to be the episode. Um, so this was episode 119, I believe. Um, we're yeah, episode 119. And as usual, thank you everybody for listening. Betrayal!